And now, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy your day. Happy lunch, your bath, your commute to work, or whatever you're doing. You're so welcome and welcome to the first annual WeWork Stiff presents the nomination awards, Stiffies. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> and it is now time for us to domination these nominations ah <laughs> uh, yes i'm good with rhymes as always my name is the ravishing red rude and we have been talking about wrestling all year long and i've been doing these intros all year long with the man over yonder he is the token war pimp himself mumble bob the devastator of hair care <laughs> Dr. Dave Pruden! Hello. And as always, making the show happen financially, time-wise, editing-wise, and a little insight, he's actually the booker man of the nomination show. So it's almost like this show's rigged. <laughs> not, a, not a dragon gate. <laughs> yeah, not a dragon gate. <laughs> so please welcome us into... We had to convince him to not create his own nomination of best editor in wrestling podcasts world he is don't they call you the token war pimp yeah. <laughs> to get my editing powers it's going to show how good i am by by cutting this together seamlessly <laughs> the chocolate mouse himself dr julius josh Crichton. yeah oh thank you red was that to the tune of they're playing basketball? Was that? <laughs> it was, wasn't it? <laughs> His name is Josh Crichton. His name is Josh. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. yeah. Devastation of hair care. Wrestling is my favorite thing. Why don't you come over here and hear my best friends talk about it? Right now? <laughs> uh... Damn it! Okay, I should have just done that one. Take two. Yeah, as Red said amazingly it's it's been the year that was this is our the stiffies finally we've we've arrived at the opportunity to present a year-end award show in the way that only we can i think uh trying to wrap up best that was in new japan pro wrestling for 2022 um and um we in the past when we used to run uh, this show we did this little awards thing with us each bringing a nomination and then discussing it and trying to arrive at a consensus as who should win the award. Um, that was in the olden days where we had, uh, well, I don't know how many listeners we had. We had no real way to know back then. Three. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we had, we had one patron. Remember that? We had like the yeah. MCF. Uh, yeah. MCF. The great MCF. Um, okay, MCF. They may have been our only listener. They were very invested. Uh, hopefully they've come back somehow. Yeah, really appreciate it. And if yeah. you are MCF, please tell us. Yeah. In any case, uh, we only had a few listeners or whatever. So we didn't have the opportunity to um, do what we're going to do here, which is essentially go through our categories, sort of explain what the categories are, explain who we think uh, should win those awards based on our, who we nominate as a potential to win it. And then we're going to place it up for votes, both in our discord um on twitter and in reddit on reddit as well i think we'll place it in a few places for polls and the fans out there the listeners who have affectionately known them uh, name themselves the stiffies which we had no control over it's a perfect marriage because 
the awards were called the Stiffies. The, the our listeners have named themselves the Stiffies. So now it's a fan voted awards. Perfect uh, symbiosis, serendipitous Stiffies on Stiffies. So we will find out who is, yeah, the winners of each awards uh, once they're voted for. You, so you're leading us off, Josh. Uh, yes, I will go through the categories and sort of explain, I guess, what the categories are. And what we will do is essentially, as I said, we'll explain what they are and then float who we think should win those awards based on our sort of what our understandings are of the things. And then hopefully we'll see what the listeners think because ultimately that's what we're looking to see. There's a heap of awards shows that are out there and that's great. You know, people that are, you know, tracking the year that was in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But we figured we'd do a show and an awards that would be reflective of the type of show that we are and the type of things that we're interested in. So that's what we've done. So we've targeted our awards. They're very they're very niche, just like we are. And hopefully it gives us an opportunity to really, I think, sort of cover what I think was a really, uh, you know, really solid year for New Japan Pro Wrestling, a really important year for New Japan Pro Wrestling and, you know, um, sort of track the year that was through the, the structure that is an awards um, show. And now New Japan's back and you've joined us for the first time. This is a great time to start. You'll be really confused because like, are these guys just an award show? Yes, we are. Each week. Each week. Yeah. We just give out different nominations to New Japan wrestlers. <laughs> Without ever explaining these ones. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's never a winner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so this will give us a great example of the type of show that we're in for. Uh, for listeners of the show, they may have a bit of an understanding of what this is, but I will give it a bit of description uh, once we get started. I'll do my best, to be honest, with new categories. So the opening category, Best Blockbuster Wrestler. So Best Blockbuster Wrestler. So what does that mean? Now, this term got brought up um midway through the year uh we started talking about when the let's, let's be honest the world osprey stuff started to get discussed and at that stage we were trying to figure out what types of wrestlers that existed in the space we were comparing to film as we are apt to do and it was the logical conclusion was a blockbuster wrestler which is like someone that is accessible their storytelling's big and uh the people that are necessarily not necessarily um, fans of like invested fans they're a great entry point that kind of thing um, mm. they're the type of wrestler that you can sort of show someone and they can become quite connected quite quickly it uh, doesn't mean that they can't have depth and and have you know the opportunity to tell sort of intricate deeper stories but they're at this level whatever they're doing they're at a blockbuster level which is in, in essence they make big money they're they're you know they attract interest but they haven't necessarily had to focus too much on the narrative depth. So that is the goal. Yeah. Grab a big bucket of popcorn and a six pack, sit back and enjoy. Yeah. Popcorn wrestlers and another way to think about it. Yeah. Perfect sort of uh, analogy. It's just put your feet up, watch them go. When I think blockbuster and I think like, and I always talk about it when I have a list of matches that when someone's like, Hey, can you show me some new Japan? These are the guys that I'll show you. And from this year, uh, I'll easily say Will Ospreay. Just in the sense that the guy, uh, you know, we've obviously grown up watching him, um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, 
Uh, but you know, the fact- old Billy Osprey. <laughs> He's holding up well. Good old Bill Osprey. Um, Mark, I but, feel uh, young again. <laughs> but I remember that first time we gathered around on the old tube and we watched yeah. watched the Billy Osprey matches. I think it was yeah, it was on Sunday Night Heat. When was that? Yeah. I always played as uh, Will Osprey in WCW NWO Revenge. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, young Billy Boy. Like, because if you got someone coming over them, they want to watch wrestling and everything. You know, you're going to get a combination of extremely fast-paced wrestling, but also mixed with you know brutal kicks and bashing and elbows and punches, and you're going to get a bit of drama in there too. Let's face it, you're going to get drama uh, throughout the match. That, that you don't really need much storyline involved with that. There's going to be drama within the match once the bell rings, and you're going to get that with Billy Boy and. Win or lose, most likely through this year, he won. He had a sensational year. Uh, you're going to get moves that that person's never seen before. You're going to sit back. And by the time it's done, you're going to be like, where's the sequel? Yep. No, I think um, he was on my list for nominations as for nominees as well, Red. I think, uh, yeah, there's not much. I mean, I think this category in, in, in many respects is kind of the Will Ospreay category. And a lot of us, like when we started about it, he was the one that we used as the the rationale because we weren't trying to discredit his storytelling. We were just trying to locate it, you know, like place it in its proper spot. Um, as you said, Red, he's integrating more dramatic elements. He's integrating far more nuanced stories. That's been part of his story as we go along. We'll probably get to that in a later discussion. But yeah, when it comes to the popcorn guy, he's had a incredible year of, you know, bringing in the masses, I would say. When I think about blockbusters, I think about them a little differently. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> so one category in. Like if, you, if I think about Will Ospreay, I think about him almost like a Michael Bay blockbuster, like say like Transformers or something. Yep. There is a, there is a simple story there. It's very flashy effects or lots fucking happening all mm-hmm. at once. Uh, and it's like a roller coaster. Um, I somewhat like disaster blockbusters. <laughs> and my blockbuster wrestler, and for the same reason, because I think that you could have someone around and put on his matches and the person would be entertained and be like, I'm a fan of that dude because he's kind of random and does some funny shit and sometimes it's a disaster. Uh, so I'm nominating Kenta. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting take. Yeah. Wow. I think it fits the category because <laughs> he's, captivating. Like... he's captivating. People are going to be watching him the second he comes out. He's incredibly open and broad. It's comedy. He's a yeah. he's a hit comedy. Like he is the big broad comedy mm. um that can also deli- he's an action comedy. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what that's who that's who Kenter is, action comedy. Well, uh, you know, even in those disaster movies, often there's like comic relief when someone gets hit with a big yeah. fucking the building or something, you know? Yeah, Kenter because he is accessible in the ways that people perhaps don't think about the way that a guy would be accessible. He was one of the most talked about guys during the G1 for without having to do anything. He probably didn't have to, like, he wouldn't have to wrestle and he would have been talked about. And like, the dude power walks like a motherfucker. These are things that are different. Um, and obviously put on, you know, if we talk about spectacles of matches, he put on one of the most spectacular matches of the year. So, yeah. like, there's no other way to put it. So, yeah, I, I would I would take that. 
Well, and, and also too, like you think about a blockbuster and the way it changes industries and stuff like that. You think about like in terms of fashion, uh, how many people are out there now wearing hairbands? Yeah. Because of Kenta and his blockbuster. He's bringing, I mean, but you, you he is changing the form and he, I, I tell you what, he must have put the fear of God into Tori Yano this year because if I'm Yano and I'm looking at Kenta, I'm seeing my career going down, power walking out the fucking door because <laughs> that guy has got everything that I have and and more. But yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I'm, that's cool. I like that. And also too, Kenta is a blockbuster. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be either really good or disappointing because it is based off a book. <laughs> well, I mean, he picks his spots, right? And so, you know, the idea of blockbusters is sometimes they're really great, sometimes they're a little mediocre, but they're often entertaining. Kent's year has been like that, often entertaining. Sometimes he has matches where they're a little bit throwaway, but then yep. he'll have a banger every now and again. You'll be like, oh, yeah, that guy's great. You think about it, like not a lot of narrative depth this year for Kenta. You know, there wasn't a lot no, of he's that. He's kind of had it created around himself and he's like promoting his book has been most of his. Yeah. Like, yeah. It hasn't really story. focused on on sort of engaging sort of deep and sort of media stories. So it perhaps is a, I mean, obviously he had a, you know, come back from his hip. So he probably just focused pretty, they probably didn't really know what to do with him this year because he didn't really know his timelines and his timeframes. Like, so. Yeah. Like all good blockbuster films that that sort of tend to pick their star like the rock or whatever you know they they tend to show up in these types of movies he has the people that he performs with as well like goto and tanahashi and zach sober jr he's like more like a tony scott or something he's like a good director that gets hold of a blockbuster you know like just just in case and it's going to be stupid and silly but it's going to be quality stupid and silly and i think that's the <laughs> thing of Cantor is that every it, he he put it way he had no misses in terms of his commitment to stupidity like it was like he committed to it completely and then he turned it up when he had to which is a i honestly it's a magic trick it really is i don't know how he does it because he doesn't lose credibility despite being an idiot um well i i feel like for me as I said, blockbusters are about accessibility and sort of entertainment and accessibility without having to be too focused on hitting the big picture themes or stories. And they, and they may hit a, they may be thematically resonant. That can happen sometimes with blockbusters, but not really any sort of deconstruction of anything beyond just, oh, that made me feel happy or sad or what, you know, like they're pretty thematically yeah, connecting. Yeah. They translate, they translate really well. And they translate in different contexts and they can adapt and they can work in different markets. That's what a blockbuster can do um, because they stick very true to a, a formula that is wholly their own, but is also distinct enough to make them, you know, popular. So for me, I looked at this year and obviously Osprey was a very clear one, but I was very much on uh, Shingo Takagi as my blockbuster wrestler. And the reason for this is primarily for one, like he's just, it's basically everything Osprey can do, Shingo can do too. Like that's kind of the the thing. I mean, they, that's why they make such great opponents. They just sort of fit in the way that they, they work. But it was the reaction and the way that he worked and the way he got over at Forbidden Door that was like, this guy just is something truly special because he's just looking at a hard cam and he's getting a massive pop. He's sitting on his ass, like, 
he has this also thing. when i think about shingo it's like you know that thing like bad um was it cool guys don't look at explosions yeah yeah yeah, he'd so not look at the explosion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd look off into the crowd from everyone. Yeah, just walk into the distance as the yeah. things. Yeah. Because he's got this aura about him that is he was the he was the first guy that during the clap crowds, he was the most he was the guy that figured it out the first in terms of how he was gonna engage them. He was clapping and he was he became incredibly loud. He would make noise a lot. He'd talk to people and he would just fill the space with noise. Um, and he's carried that over. It's become like his thing where he does his whole thing. He looks and he points and he finds the cameras and he does the stuff and he looks and he's he's breaks the fourth wall. Like he's a he's he's figured this new way of connecting with people that I think just emerged through working with small crowds, no crowds, clap crowds, you know, this whole transition. This year he was sensational. Like his matches, the the level of quality of his matches were ridiculous. I mean, he starts the year with five-star level matches. He finishes with five-star level matches, and he's not even in the title scene. he that, mm. That's the idea is ultimately, for me, he didn't have a lot going on story-wise this year um, other than King of Pro Wrestling, which is like the ultimately, if there was a blockbuster title, you know, it might be it might be King of Pro Wrestling. It might be headed that way, you know, like. Yeah, heavy on the gimmick. <laughs> yeah, it's the Michael Bay of belts, you know, like, yeah. gosh, like, um, and it, it feels like, in his hands, though, it feels like it has some potential. Like he can do something with it, and he can try stuff with it. I mean, we're seeing it already. Like he's going to wrestle Okan in a mixed martial arts match. They're going to have a judo match. Like oh, that's going to be insane. It's going to be ah. ridiculous. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be wanting to wrestle Okan that way. But that's not neither here nor there. But Chingo's going to try his best, and that's what we want to see. Try stuff for the form. That'd be great. But Shingo this year, for my for my liking, has the same thing that I would say of Osprey is you put a Shingo match on, and I I just challenge anyone to not connect to that guy, regardless of any context. And that's what I think of a blockbuster wrestler. I think it doesn't preclude them from being the best wrestler in the company or being the best storyteller in the company. I mean, ideally, if you are both, if you can tell the deepest, like most rich narrative stories and do it in the form of a blockbuster, you've probably hit the level of like just the best that's the best possible version of a pro wrestler possible is someone that can do both simultaneously mm. um and those guys have existed and do exist but for the year that was i think shingo wasn't given a lot to work with and in the same way we saw with kenta he wasn't given a lot to work with but what he did work with i think he made compelling and he and he was able to get himself over in spite of what i would say was a down year in terms of his ultimate push you know well, I mean, also too, like in terms of like you're showing someone a wrestler from that doesn't know much, doesn't need much context at all. You're going to be getting what, what you would call strong style. You're going to get like, you know, really hard impact lariatos. You're going to get like, you know, devastating suplexes and moves. Like, yeah, as a, as a casual fan watching it going, holy shit, like what is this I'm watching? Like he is beating the crap out of this dude. He's taking a punishment but he's enjoying it and he's not stopping. He just keeps going forward with strong move after strong move after strong move, which yep. is which is the king of strong style and it is the land of strong. So yep. it makes perfect sense. I would say he's the most, he's the, he's the most gifted physical storyteller in New Japan in terms of his ability to emote with his body. He's really good at it. He's really good at, like I said, even compared to the other guys that, 
you would have no context of this guy, but you could watch him. You could, as Dave said, you get a sense, you get a vibe, you get a sense of who the guy is by the way he acts, the way he moves, the way he works. Um, he's just got that thing where he just, the, everything he does is captivating. And I think that he translates and transcends um, across cultures. He's just one of those guys. And I just think he's very special. And this year, sort of proved it because the year prior he got the elevation, he got the push and he got seen as that. And everyone's like, okay, he can do that. He can carry the stuff and he can tell those stories on top. But this year was the real challenge is can you keep yourself in the front of mind without getting that push, without being a focused player? And he did because come Wrestle Kingdom, he's showing up challenging for the title without any heating up. He was in the fucking Rambo and everyone believed he was a credible challenger. So to me, that's the position. It's like, okay, he's got to that point. Now, hopefully, in the new year, he will start to tell some narratively rich stories. And once he starts doing that, watch out. On to the next category for nominees. Uh, nominees for Best Supporting Wrestler. This is an interesting, uh, you know, stealing probably from what is essentially, ostensibly, um, you know, film awards like so often people talk about who's the best wrestler who the best person is blah blah blah. and there's so many great people out there working with others that get forgotten they get overlooked you know that don't get recognized and they can be so important they play small roles but they're they're essentially neither propelling a story or helping a character get over or helping to convey a particular key beat that will propel the main story in, in New Japan pro wrestling for a year. And they're sort of the underrated, under you know, not spoken about characters. So this is kind of the opportunity for us to highlight them. And, and to be fair, we don't really need an opportunity to highlight them at, at the end of the year awards ceremony because that's basically the crux of our fucking show is that we basically always look for the supporting characters, those that don't get the shine that other places will, you know, place onto these these workers that these are the truest of the stiff boys. They're the the ones that are holding up. They're the true pillars. They're holding up the stories that we know and love. Um, and so, yeah, this is the opportunity for us to identify who we felt was the best supporting wrestler for 2022 in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You lead off. Okay. Uh, I, I struggle a little bit with this because I had a guy that immediately came to mind uh, that I remember that when I was explaining this one in back and forward in chats and stuff that Dave had mentioned as like, like this person, I was like, exactly like that person. Um, it was like helping to clarify it. But as I thought about it more and and watching a few things I was doing in prep to sort of refresh my mind, I sort of think I stumbled upon someone that I think deserves to be recognized for this. And in realizing it, kind of realizing what this person has been doing for multiple years and how I feel like it's all about to change. So my nominee for... Best supporting wrestler is El Fantasmo. Because El Fantasmo is a guy that you could easily see, you know, he's a guy that sort of tells these kind of broad, heel, tropey sort of stories. But I was kind of thinking about, you know, what's been his big sort of stuff that he's done. Really, his his biggest thing that he did during the pandemic was a story about a uh, a loaded boot. He did a loaded boot story in our our year of our Lord twenty twenty one, and he made it compelling and it made it part of a broader narrative. Ironically, though, 
everyone thought that that was a story for him. And it kind of became a story for Robbie Eagles, who figured out that he had a loaded boot and saved us all from the dastardly ELP. And I started to think about El Fantasma and what he does and what his function is and realizing the man's never held a singles belt. He's he's always been a supporting player over in the Bullet Club drama or in the junior division when he was there. And his job as both a heel and in um, most stories is to help get others to where they need to be. And I think that it sort of goes completely unrecognized in the work that he does because he's selfless because he makes himself the ass consistently. I think he may be in the top five most talented guys on the roster in terms of he can just do everything. He has he has come in with a very uh, he came in being a baby face and has to become a heel. He's figured out his voice, what he wants to do, and I feel like this year, this upcoming year, I think this is the only this is going to be the last opportunity for him to be the supporting. To, to win an award for supporting a wrestler because I think he's about to become the star. Uh, I just wanted to give an opportunity to recognize all the work he's done um, being there. You know, he was over in, you know, he, he was flying over during pandemic when no one else was. And this past year, the work that he did with Shingo to get, you know, this craft, the who's your daddy storyline, you know, like just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous where he is going to be the butt of the joke consistently. That is his job is to constantly be the one that who which uh you know gets his comeuppance constantly i think is deserves recognition uh for what he has done and more importantly across the the point of the year especially earlier in the year the best super juniors the work he did with robbie eagles to establish the character of robbie eagles who when robbie was coming through that was his biggest sort of challenge as a babyface was establishing an exact persona in new japan pro wrestling Having been tied to ELP as kind of like his bizarro version of himself allows both of them to sort of elevate off of one another. But I think that the sort of the way that ELP had worked with him and has consistently worked with guys like Despy and has worked in that space, he has always helped to articulate to fans what the intended directions are kind of going to be. And he's just, I think he's done a really good job in a broad sense of helping to convey other people's stories without really ever having something of any significance for himself. So I feel like he's been really good at that and deserves sort of recognition. And I have a feeling um, looking at the new beginning cards and looking at the lineups, I have a feeling um, he's going to be the leading man very soon. Yep. Yeah, we are seeing more from Phantasmo than just like the comedy guy. We are seeing compelling matches that he's putting on. And he's been doing it for a while. I'm not saying he hasn't been doing that, but I think this year he's sort of like stepped out of the shadows a bit and you've kind of been taking more and more notice of him as the year's gone on. Well, I definitely have. Um, but I think that's very deliberate because it's at the same time as well. There's a loser leaves Japan match on New Beginning and it's going on before he wrestles Tama Tonga. I just think that lineup is incredibly telling. Mm-hmm. Kenta and Ishimori have a singles match. I'm not going to jump into it, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that there's some fuckery afoot and ELP is being heated up to be the guy because I think he has the potential to be the guy. I think you can tell a lot in this supporting character role of who are going to be the best guys for the company moving forward. As you said, Dave, you always talk about you know the low carters, the mid carters, the, the O carters. I feel like the supporting characters are the ones that can help propel the narrative 
without ever being in the ever getting the shine. They can be in the shadows the entire time and they can help propel it. They're the ones that ultimately, when they get given the ball, they become really, really good. Like that's the Kenny Omega types, you know, like they were just there working in the thing, doing a silly gimmick, but they were helping propel other people's stories until such time as it was time for them and they were ready to go. And I think that sometimes you can tell that and maybe it's the best way to indicate as someone who's going to be willing or who's going to be have the capacity when the push comes to be able to handle the push is were they good in the supporting role? And yeah, I think I think ELP this year sort of proved that he was really good in the supporting role because yeah, the, the two series with Shingo and with particularly with Robbie, that was the part where it was like he he helped solidify a character that needed help being solidified. Um and he gets no real credit for that. He gets the loss and disappears and you know, people don't think about it, but that was his role was to make that clear for the audience and help the the guy move on his way. And um, I'm hoping that he wins the never belt because I am hopeful that that leads to more matches uh, with juniors, but yes, ELP, El Fantasma. I like it. Well, when I was thinking about this category, I, Mid-year, I thought about all the um, kind of what I was hoping would happen and that sort of thing. And I so very much wanted, you know, Heath Ledger won the best supporting actor for the Joker. And I so very much wanted Juice to be the Joker this year. (laughs) Um, I was really pushing for that. (laughs) And he would have definitely got my nomination. However, these things... Didn't play out how he did. I, it, he had a, such had a cameo, <laughs> so I couldn't go with uh, Juice. But so I had a little bit more of a think about um, uh, supporting wrestlers, and I kind of I just can't help but go back to like the like the movie reference for it, um, and sort of I was just like flicking through um, winners of you know best supporting uh, Oscar nominations and winners and. And that sort of thing, and um, to help me kind of come up with, because I was having a bit of trouble. Like, what is? What do they figure do? Out, like, what? What is this? What does that mean to me? And I don't know. The my nomination, he's sort of like had some stories and that sort of stuff. But I think of it more from like a character perspective. And um, you know, I really like uh, the Cliff Booth character in um, Once Upon a Time in mm-hmm. Hollywood. And that relationship that he has with, um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And to me, that feels a little oh. bit like Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, so my nomination is, is Tai Chi. Um, and yeah, I feel like with everything that's gone on there's been kind of moment like and you know what i like about best supporting actors is often that i prefer that role mm. over the main role and that character over the main character yeah um and taichi is just a favorite of mine and within the the confines of suzuki gun he you know maybe in the eyes of fans he's he's a favorite but he's not the leader of that faction or wasn't the leader of that faction no um was probably third in line really when you when you mm. look at it um and then as a supporting role 
he did the Takatachi Mania stuff and did the Despi one as well. Um, you know, helping to build up other members of the faction, um, putting on different stuff. So I feel like that's a supporting. Well, the, supporting he's essential role. to the story of Suzuki Gun with which out without ever being given the ball. Like he's never been given the spotlight of the star of the faction. But yeah. without him, the story of the faction doesn't make much sense. And there wouldn't be much interesting going on. Like that's it fits the exact same criteria, I'd say, of what I was saying of El Fantasmo is that they are essential to the story of certain characters. Like if this year was about propelling Zach, which it really was, like it was a really important year for Zach and getting Zach to be a credible heavyweight challenger off the back of their their tag team. Taichi lost Taichi just keep like Taichi was losing consistently this year. That was kind of Taichi's story for the year, just keep on losing. But throughout all the stuff, he was constantly framing his disappointment in contrast to Zach's, you know, going on and doing stuff. Yeah. And he was never doing it as woe is me, but more about I'm holding Zach back. I'm holding Zach. I'm 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 dragging this thing. So he's able to propel and elevate Zach selflessly. Yeah. Without hurting himself, which you know, which is the you know, just he's so endearing. People love Tai Chi. Yeah, and there's a complexity about him too that um, I feel like is um, what I like most about characters in wrestling and in film, even. So, uh, yeah, my nomination is Tai Chi. He's just such a strong. He's a he's a strong uh, contender for the fucking category of incomes. The most supportive. He's the most supportive wrestler in pro wrestling. Yeah, that's, no that's one supports was, stronger. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I would put money on it in this year when we do our awards. The Tai Chi would probably be put into either best wrestler, best match, best story, or blockbuster. Any one of them this year is going to be really bright for Tai Chi. I feel. I think this is the year of touching Tai Chi. Touching Tai Chi. Tai Chi. Yeah. Touching Tai Chi, coming to a theatre near you. Yeah, I just think within the, the role that he plays within the faction um, and, you know, like, you know, best supporting thing, they're always super over characters in films. He's a super over character in wrestling. Everybody loves him. Um, you know, he's a lovable guy. And, yeah, so that was, you know, just flicking through stuff today. I'm like, oh, it kind of reminds me of, of Tai Chi. So, yeah, he's yeah. my nomination. Yeah. So I'm getting get my boys in my nomination. Yeah, just finding ways to <laughs> to reframe the character. Yes, I really, I mean, I'm very impressed by the logical leaps that you're making here in terms of this. This is exactly, it, but I agree. I mean, I think he's that's exactly the category. Is when I think of supporting guy, uh, I'm thinking of a guy that's probably not going to get main event pushes. Is a key part of a faction, probably second or third in line, mm. and but. Use is in able to uh, use that spot to get them to a position that's that's um they keep getting booked. <laughs> yeah, you well, I mean? and like, like I, I know I keep going back to movies, but like whenever I see a great supporting actor, uh, a great supporting character in something, and you're always like, oh, I wonder what the movie, like a movie about that character would yeah. be like, and like we might see that with Tai Chi this year, like Red was saying, this could be the year of touching Tai Chi, and yeah. Um, he might get something. He's going in with Osprey. Who knows what could happen off the back of that? So. Exactly. But that's the, that's the part where I'm looking at these guys where 2022 was their year playing the sporting role. 
Yeah. And same as I was saying, Fel Fantasma, I want to see what he can do because I feel like his capacity as a support reflects on his capacity as a lead. And the same thing of those things when you see those characters, like I love to see that person or that I want to see what's happening in that person's life. Will they be as effective when not in relation to the main character? Who knows? I don't know. That's kind of the exciting part about it. And I think that Taichi has proven he's been a supporting character for both Zach, but he's also been a supporting character for Shingo. So yeah. he's in a different way in the way wrestling works. He's supported Shingo to get the KOPW to the level it's gotten to. And it's kind of funny that when we're doing supporting characters, we've got two of the guys that were working in that KOPW space to sort of working to frame a new thing, you know, and that's kind of an interesting space where that's sort of located in the card, you know. Um, but yeah, I think Taichi's I think Taichi might be a fucking I think I think the listeners out there, I think he's gonna poll well because people fucking <laughs> love Taichi. Right? They do. They do. Uh yeah, so when I think of like support i think of someone who not necessarily has done much in the way of like someone who's elevated things around him that's kind of how i saw the support thing going that's how Uh, i see it too and this guy kind of came out of the blue for me personally uh knew a little bit about him but um you know seeing him in the super juniors then in the tag league uh i really thought that the match quality and what he was doing and what he brought uh really for me really helped support New Japan being back this year. And one of the best things New Japan does is tournaments. And I thought overall, he really supported two different tournaments throughout this year. So mm-hmm. um, Alex Zane. If you think about it, like when he came over there, he was putting on banger after banger. He has a very unique look, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. something that can get people talking about. He was instantly like an online darling with Twitter uh, and his love for Taco Bell and everything which also, once again, brought new eyes to the tournament of the Super Juniors. That's right. The Taco uh, Bell enthusiasts are now on the New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, and also, too, like, you know, the whole thing with him and Ace Austin. He helped propel Ace Austin into Bullet Club. Very big. Yep. That was the big. <laughs> the Fox story was a thing. He got given a yeah. story, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, and so, like, then, but then the whole thing with the tag league with El Lindemann, uh, I just thought, <laughs> yeah. like, like... Weird, the, the whole, right? Yeah, I know, but, like, that's what I mean, though. It's like, you know, this weird oddball tag team when in like i said new japan was back this was their big year to sort of like propel them into this year where they are officially back back uh i just thought that alex zane for me personally this year really put up a great supporting role in you know sort of like reminding people what new japan does best and that's tournaments it's interesting not yeah. storyline yeah he was um <laughs> so it's just that's the thing <laughs> he had a storyline in the tournament though right that's throughout the court whether it was first match second match third match fourth match main event it doesn't matter alex zane lindemann their tag matches but same thing during the super juniors as well it doesn't matter where that, that tag well it's important to what he played too if you think about it right like he was one of the first guys that sort of was the indicator that new japan might the pandemic might be getting we might be back here because he was like one of the first guys that had never been over there to go over there under this new these new restrictions mm. but yeah if you're thinking from a perspective of what was his function like what was his job like his job was to, obviously to get himself over without necessarily getting much in the way of opportunities like he i think when he did that first tour i don't think they had any no idea that i don't think they had any belief that he was going to get over that the way he got over like i don't think they were prepared for the level I think they I think in their mind they wanted Ace Austin, they were going to elevate Ace Austin, and that was the job. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're right. His role in that feud was to get 
make the Ace Austin turn mean something, and it did. And it was he was so good in the role that people were upset they did it so quickly. People were like, mm. they should have kept that team together and kept going, and they could have been even more heartbreaking for poor old Alex Zane because it was like people were invested in that thing. So I think if his job was to get Alex to get um, Ace Austin over and to get Bullet Club's dastardly ways over and to sort of reheat that up in the junior division, I think he did a really good job of that. And now he's back mm. with Feld Lindemann. I have no idea what that is, but it's pretty clear he's going to get. You know, and we probably will see him in the support role again this year, most likely. But perhaps yeah. he'll get he'll get a bit more opportunity to showcase that. Um, what he can do, like a, with a longer stories, like the sock story is only a very small little story, but it's continuing. Him and Ace Austin's story continues, like it's always there. So I just felt Alex Zane propelled and elevated, and always had cool, interesting matches. Once again, that. You know, just sort of like, yeah, just support of the night, basically, by him being there. You're coming in as a supporting character. And as Dave said, you want to see more of that person. That's to me a lot of what support can be. It's like, that character's cool. I'd like to see more of them. I think Zane is one of those that didn't get given a lot, but what he did do, he maximized, you know? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of which, good good transition, Red. Off the back of that, talking about the importance of the tournaments, uh, we look at nominations for best tournament. For this for the year, what did we think was the best tournament? Who would like to go first with best tournament of twenty twenty two in and, Japan pro wrestling? And, and this is uh, like, can we call it um, wrestling fatigue is real? The best <laughs> tournament. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, wrestling fatigue award for best. Wait, tournament. which 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 draft did I win? Which tournament did I win? Uh the first one. Super Juniors. Yeah, so that's the best. That was the best uh, tournament <laughs> this year. Uh, no, I, I, in my honest opinion, I'm going to say it's the Tag League. I mean, I'll, I'll just, I won't go into too much detail. It's just if you want to see what New Japan is and what they can do in, in you know, a month, uh, go on. That's, that's what I'm recommending. That, to me, was the best progressive storytelling uh, and what New Japan does. And the reason why I'm not saying the G1 is because this year is about to have the best G1 ever. And you fools don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this year, New Japan created a tournament that actually, I, I don't know whether they'll continue it or not in any way, but, but that should. actually helps for, yeah, that mm-hmm. should, they should, helps wrestling fatigue because matches only go for 15 minutes max. Um and we spruiked it from the get-go was the TV tournament. I thought that was fucking awesome. Uh, conceptually, something different. And um, the fact that they put all the matches on YouTube so you can go and watch them anytime you want, um, what that means for how that title will be defended, I think is really interesting. Uh, you got to see the, the game on speed effectively on the clock. So yep. wrestlers did wrestled differently than they would um all these things that we sort of hoped we would get out of it sort of come to fruition and for me what i loved about it and i mean i loved everything but i loved about it just that it was so new and so fresh and really brought a different flavor to new japan that is great because you know aspects of new japan can be a bit stale and tournaments do go for a long time and they you do get fatigue and it can be hard to stay connected but that was fucking snappy and you know for the modern day 
the modern day attention span. It's the mm. perfect fucking tournament, really. Mm. I reckon. So I hope they continue it. I agree. I that would have been my nomination too because it was. Um, they did things they haven't done before. They did pre-match promo videos where they're talking about what they're going to do, and they like which gave us some really different presentation for New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan hasn't done that before. They haven't put the press conference promo a bit before the match. You know, like they haven't done that before. Now I just always loved that about um, wrestling was the pre-match promo. I yeah. always thought that was like a great aspect that they sort of they tended to do with like these well, in the western wrestling anyway these kind of like shitty fucking interviews instead of well i mean they're always i suppose interviews but i don't know they were if they felt more authentic and produced and right before they go to the ring that's what i liked better was like me and Gene would be like interviewing someone and now it's off the belt and then they're off to the ring and it's, they're straight into it. Not a segment and then we're going to go to it. No, we're doing it right before we walk straight to the ring. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. The timing of it. Very 80s and 90s, early 90s. Yeah. Very, very yeah, very 80s in that sense. So Is it like, I'm not a nostalgia guy, but I, I do like throwbacks to things that remind me of a bygone, what are things about that I liked about a, a an era that's gone. Yeah. It gave yeah. us one. It gave us an all timer too. So like, oh, it fuck was, yeah, so yeah. like the idea of that, like, you nearly ruined Kevin Kelly's commentary for about four minutes. Like that type <laughs> of, that type of uh, presentation was so different. It was so unique and had its own graphic, its own feel. Because they were they were placing these matches on cards, you know, and it gave them this real sense. So I I thought it was the breath of fresh air. I mean, we it's it's. We've had some great predictions and great stuff, but to me, that's the biggest W for the WeWork Stiff this year was our commitment to the Casio belt and our commitment to that tournament and what that 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 division and what that could be. And we were, from the get-go, we're like, this is great. This is going to be great. Everyone was deriding the belt. They were deriding the concept. They thought, oh, another tournament, another belt, whatever. It became it became a, a real stimulus. It became a real push for New Japan's drive and interest towards wrestle uh kingdom and it became a a function of what tournaments can do ren narita is where he is now because of that tournament that tournament was his jumping off point they used that tournament to build a wrestler they said we're going to build you and what's great is they also use that tournament to craft the transition from a wrestler to a main eventer and so they were able to do that simultaneously whilst telling these side stories of other guys in the confines of these 15 minute matches they found a way to inject new life into Sonata. Like they found ways to do things that, that were byproducts of a tournament. To me, it was the it was a revelation. So yeah, it was the tournament of the year from my perspective. Well, but I have to put another nomination. Um, so I will go with the best of the super juniors. Um, I thought everything bar the end. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, look, I'm putting it. It's a it's a half uh, nomination here in the sense that I, you know, I think it deserves praise. I think it was the first sign of recovery for New Japan Pro Wrestling. It was the the harbinger of potential of what was to come, where we started to see both the isolationist walls drop down, where we we're getting guys like El Lindemann, but also the borders opening up, where we we're starting to see guys come across um, from the west that hadn't been there before that obviously had been able to get their visas. So it was like this first sign of like, well, if they can get visas then maybe this person, this person, this person can. 
it was the opening up of we, we look back now and think of the relationship with AEW, you know, with Wheeler Utah getting a connect coming across. It was that first sort of sign of of something was possible. And it had um it was a solid tournament. It was fresh, you know. I don't think it had the level of freshness that say the super the best super juniors tag league did. That was like the most fresh tournament of the year. But it was the first sign of things to come. I think it was also the the place in which El Desperado was able to elevate himself and sort of identify his place in the pecking order. And you got to see it through the tournament where it wasn't a focus, but it was how he was main eventing. He was the most main events. He was always there. So he got to be seen in that light, um, you know, final withstanding. But obviously um, I'll leave my reservations regarding the the ultimate winning of that and what it, the feeling I had that night. Um, I felt that that, demonstrated how effective the tournament was because it was so fresh and new and it was exciting that when they reverted back to the tried and true sort of booking pattern of he you know establishing her own with an all-time legend that kind of position people were upset because it felt like it was something so new so i think that indicated the tournament was a success in that respect and it elevated a lot of guys so that when it came time for this best super junior tag league we're excited to see these guys return mm. so um i felt it did a pretty good job of that but We'll see how we go, but um, yeah, that would be that would be the those tournaments again. G one didn't make it this year, and I think that's probably fair. To be fair, I think the G one the four block thing was a bit interesting and was different. I think if I were booking it, I'd be going back to the old one. Yeah, it was a bit. I enjoyed the G one, but it was a bit hit and miss. Some nights were yeah, some nights weren't weren't great. Very discombobulated, I felt during the whole thing. Uh, very hard to sort of like follow with the matches and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's look, they were trying something. I mean, fair fucks yeah. to them. Why not? You know. Yeah. And I mean, like I said before, this year's G one is going to be the best ever. You you don't even know. <laughs> I'm oh. telling you. Yeah, and and New Japan Cup again missing out, but that's um, Zach was elevated through that. But I think the elevation of Zach was most notable in the uh, in the TV title. Uh, on to the uh, aptly named the Yoshihashi Encouragement Award. Uh, this is a special award given out to a very special boy who's, who we've seen as someone that we believe is has figured it out, has finally figured it out. It's uh, named in honour of the great man himself uh, who spent years in the wilderness trying on every type of DAC known to man Doing his best. Still, still trying on still the trying on new Dax as we speak. Uh looking, trying his best to find a way to get over and not realizing that it was always inside him, that he just had to unleash what was always there, laying dormant inside. <laughs> that sounds like Goto was laying dormant inside him. <laughs> I think he may have been. That's Goto and his balls deep inside. Uh Yoshihashi just waiting to come out. Uh, and so that they could tag together. So they could tag together. Well, no. Yeah. And so where is where is Goto living now? Uh it's kind of the this award. Yoshihashi Encouragement Award. So we're looking for the person that we think this year has over delivered figured it out, sort of the under underappreciated, undervalued, underrated, but has somehow elevated themselves to doesn't have to be they've gotten to the top level. They've just made a big stride to become somewhat legitimate. You know, they've gotten to somewhere where you go, okay, good job. And we want to recognize that movement and hope for more and give them a good old gold star. 
on the decks. Um, I will just say this isn't my nomina this isn't my nomination, but I will just say I will always call this award the Yoshi Hats Off to Ye Award. Yeah. Sounds better in my head when I say it. <laughs> hats off to hats off to ye. Yoshi hats off to ye. Uh, I think that this award is fits per uh, is a perfect hat to to fit on the head of uh, Master Wato. Uh, given where he was at in uh, the best of the Super Juniors and to where he progressed by the time, well, yeah, I mean, by the time Wrestle Kingdom rolled around some more, like, what, six months later. So yep. a, a massive leap for him uh, from being written off to a, oh, what a bit of a wet fart return <laughs> from excursion as a young boy and everyone kind of been like, oh, we, you know, to a degree we wrote him off. I was on Wato Watch from the start. Yes, look. Yes, you were. That's congratulations. And I'm like, I see something and I, <laughs> I saw, saw something, something and it came through. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, yeah wrapped to see him sort of just elevate his game. And, you know, it helps to be put in there with three Does. of the best guys you've got in your division. <laughs> Does help. <laughs> helps. Yep. But, I mean, he got over and yeah, he uh, did. helped get him over and you know, to a point where. People were booking him to win at fucking Wrestle Kingdom over the other three. You know, well, they made they made that a believable story. So well, look at it. He's he's wrestling on the new beginning shows in a special singles match versus Ishimori. He's actually just yeah. got a special singles match. Mm. So there is interest for from the New Japan yeah, fan base just to watch a Master Wado singles <laughs> match. That's a big movement for the man. Not only that, though, the guy went from, like, almost being potential piss-break match guy to Master Wado's up. You know, he went. He, he kind of went from somewhat kind of clunky, maybe a, maybe just a little botchy, just no confidence to what, he's, what he is now. And that, that there is no more. He's done the Yoshihashi leap instead of, like, fucking six years. <laughs> <laughs> he's done it in fucking six months yeah amazing yeah. he's done it on he's just done it in the microwave yoshihashi right like <laughs> but you're right he literally has taken that to yoshihashi in, in very similar to yoshihashi in the sense like yeah. the, the crazy thing is like when wado debuted he debuted in front of no one literally in front of no one he debuted on the first show back when they were had empty corican thing and he lost, he was in a feud and doki. <laughs> That's where he was pegged on his yeah. return. And it's like to see where he has gotten to this this year. And as you said, Dave, it wasn't like he had crawled his way back to like legitimacy at the beginning of the year. He was still considered, you know, like a just a joke. And it became the story of the th- like the three guys he was wrestling come wrestle kingdom were all, you know, like he was the joke. Like he was this, the idiot. And that was, they've, you know, organically made it part of this thing, which is again, like an interesting movement. And hopefully you just hope he can get, keep moving and not get Yoshihashi'd. He needs to win a belt. He just needs to get legitimized to get him. So it doesn't take him six years before he gets one. Mm. But yeah, he, he is the, he is the truest. Uh, you want to encourage the boy to keep moving. Cause the thing about him that I think is, as you said before, Dave, about confidence is that he just, 
But it's really sad to see because when he was a young boy, he had the most connection with the fans. He was one of those guys that was super connected and they always wanted to see him do well. And you know how some young boys are as able to get over in that sense? Like when they got the simpy and they just, people get behind them. He had yeah. an organic connection with the fans. And when he came back, it was like, because he came back during the that, that downtime, it was like he was trying to, it must've been a real challenge for a young boy to return to a, such a, unfamiliar landscape where they can't cheer and they can't do this stuff because he's trying to learn how to wrestle in a new character and wrestle a new way and he's trying to learn how to get experience in a space where even the most experienced of hands are struggling well, you get, yeah you're getting no real-time feedback so, none yeah. so you got to trust your instincts and then you're getting put in there with guys as i said you got to get to the point where the, that may not be able to elevate you because they're they're also they're you know, trying to figure it out. They're yeah. trying to figure it out too, even if they are experienced. It wasn't until he got in, you know, with the elite of the elite. I think that I think El Desperado is, you know, if anyone's going to give him the sticker, it's Despi. You know, like he'll be yeah. the one handing the certificate, like because it he really made it a, a job that I'm going to help this guy, and yeah. he did. And it took one night. It was that one match, and it was like. Yoshihashi's in the back spewing, spitting chips. Like, where was that? Where was my old Desperado? Why did someone not come along and do that for me? <laughs> you know? Um, but it is a situation where, yeah, I think let's hope he keeps going because um, I feel for him. He's the guy that came back and they decided not to bring anyone back for like two years. <laughs> like, he's basically, he was the, the, he was the sacrificial lamb, you know, and this mm-hmm. little, this little blue lamb that just sitting out there in the field, you know, like, He's the one that everyone pushes, like the Simpsons meme, where they keep pushing him all the way. He was the first one. They're just like, oh, and all the way until we get to Uemura. Like he's going to be the, the yeah. cute one at the very end. So you just hope they don't forget Master Wato when um, when it comes time, because I think you know, I think there's potential in that boy. Yeah, that was my nominee too, Master Wato. I really didn't give a shit about the guy when the year started, and by the end of the year, I was actually literally rooting for him come Wrestle Kingdom. Um, you know, so, uh, I mean, uh, my honorable mention to Doki, uh, just cause I thought Doki had, if you're going to nominate someone red, you can't, if you want to nominate, it's not an honorable mention. Okay. All right. Okay. okay all right. I'll say Doki. Doki, in my opinion, was a guy who was a bit more, a bit, a bit lackluster with me, a bit more on the, um, you know, the bocce bocce, but as the, as the year went on, I kind of like began to understand his art of the botch, kind of like a, um, <laughs> uh, no, wow, you're going to get in trouble, no, Red. You are going to get in trouble for the Doki takes. Like, no, it's like, it, you know, I, I, there was a guy called Super Calo that I was a massive fan of and he wore a mask too and didn't really know much about him at all. But as, 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 you know, his matches became must watch TV and then Doki sort of like showed himself to me as, an actual legit credible wrestler this year. Like he really kind of came out from behind the, the shadows of the bar, oh man, what's with me in the shadows tonight. Um, but also at the same time though, he's just like, yeah, he came out, he sort of like solidified himself to me more that like Doki's like a legit guy that I want to kind of watch more of. And yeah. he sort of was putting on bangers at the start of the year. And, you know, saw a similar thing, a Doki match was coming up, whether it's a tag match or whatever. I was I found myself watching the Doki mixed tag matches during the G1, during the tag leagues, all that kind of stuff, where I was actually like, this guy's actually pretty cool. I, I like this guy at the bent bar. And you know, this this guy's actually like a legit nice human being as well, like in his real life as well. 
Um, yeah, so yeah, just uh, Master Wido was my number one pick, but uh, Doki, I you know I think uh, is my second pick. Yeah, he'd be my one of my picks too. I had him on my list as well because I think he had. Yes, what's funny about Doki? This is he did this in reverse, which is really interesting, because he had one of the best matches of the year versus Taichi and in, in January of last year, a year ago, um, and it was incredible. It was, I mean, I, I, it doesn't qualify because it was a Taichi Takataichi Mania match. You know, the best the best promotion on the planet. You know, in terms of quality, no one hits, no one has a hit rate like Takataichi Mania. Uh, slash Takatachi Despi Mania. Um, I mean, maybe we'll transition to a Takatachi Despi Mania podcast because, good God, uh, if you just want to talk about quality of uh, fucking shows, I mean, no one, Booker of the Year is Taka and Taichi and Despi. Um, they're fucking great. But that that first match was where Taichi does, got to be Kawada for a night, and, you know, beat the fucking confidence into him. And he beat the confidence into Doki. And Doki's capacity to figure out that he could be the sympathetic underdog that people would get behind because he's like the run of the litter in Suzuki-gun and that that could be a thing for him became the story of Doki throughout the year. And that's a dangerous thing to be going in because we talk about, we, you get Yoshihashi. That's a, I mean, we're, they're the similar guys that can get Yoshihashi because he's, you know, like you're going to lose a lot and you're going to try to get simpy. And will people care about you? That's the biggest test for Yoshihashi. If you get Yoshihashi, people stop caring. They're just like, oh, he's going to keep losing. But if you can figure a way to win people over whilst losing a lot because you're sympathetic, you ultimately get there. He's on the Despi arc. He's taking the Despi arc. He was, he's getting under Kenamaru. He's getting beaten up by his senpais. He's on that arc. He's only 30, 30, 31. He has potential to move forward. He's He's got talent. I think he's going to be great. He's he does weird shit. He's got that Mexican like influence, that lucha influence. He'll do crazy shit. This year was the year that I think that he figured out what he could be. He got put on the path that he's going to go towards. So I think I can see big things for Doki as well. I think him and Master Wato are, are sort of paired as well in a lot of respects because they were, you know, they were the first few when they came back. So I feel like they'll grow together. So yeah, Doki for sure is someone that I want to see uh, deserves an encouragement because he has been not given a lot throughout the year. But look at it, got the, he's he's wrestling for the tag team titles now, the junior tags. Like he's he's it's Kenemaru and Doki. It's not Kenemaru and Desper anymore. It's Kenemaru and Doki, and I think he he's earned the right to be a legitimate credible challenger, and he's pinned those tag champions twice. So that's a big step up for Doki. Okay, so. In the in the same vein, I guess I was thinking about one category, one person I go, but I, I feel like, in the spirit of the way that you guys have talked about this, I feel like this makes more sense for me to go with the other one. So I'm gonna, for my encouragement award, I'm gonna give it to David Finley. We need a doctor. Look at his face. Because in a similar way, I felt so sorry for David Finley. Because when he was announced for the G1, it was derided instantly, where it was everyone wanted AEW people. Remember that was the whole discourse yeah, of like, yeah. why can't? And we could have easily cut out Finley. Like Finley could, like he's, I'm sure he's only there because they couldn't have got someone in. So they just had to pick Finley. 
lo and behold, I mean, he sort of slipped down our board somewhat for that reason as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. We we just assumed he was an afterthought in the booking. Like he was just someone yeah. they were putting in there for one story and one story alone. He was there to help Juice. That was yeah. our thought. It was like he's there to get this thing over with Juice. Lo and behold, no, he's there to. We Finley's a project, so we didn't know that. And you want to talk about someone that Yoshi harshed himself in six months? Fucking David Finley did it in three weeks. It's yeah. one of the most incredible evolutions and elevations of self that we have seen. He came through with, he looked different. He had a different attitude and it, it reframed all of your thinking. You started going back saying, oh, when he wrestled that AW match against Hangman, he, he looked pretty fucking different. And then you're like, oh, so it sort of started to reframe your thinking. When did this start? Where did this come from? Also, sort of now, whatever, however long down the track, six, five months, five, six months down the track, we haven't seen much of David Finley since, and it makes me think, oh, what we, what's happening there? Well, he's been announced. It's interesting to mention that. So he went away for tag league because it fit his character again. Remember, he's the lone yeah. guy where it's like, I don't want to wrestle in tags. I'm not going to do that shit. So he goes away, not on Wrestle Kingdom, so like not not visible. But he's going to be wrestling at Battle in the Valley against Bobby Fish. Oh, so cool. I think that might be an opportunity for him to sort of establish himself again. Um, and I feel like he's a guy that's going to be a, a key component in the Western expansion, I think, because he's, you know, he's got all those those aspects in terms of he can speak English and he's I think he can wrestle TV matches. He can do a lot of stuff. I think he's going to be a guy that will be, um, you know, TV title stuff. I think he's a guy that's in that in that category, but he's a legitimate guy. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is like, you know, a G1 gets announced next year. People will want David Finley in it. You know, they want to see him back. Yeah. Because of what he did and the, the level of quality of matches that he had. So, I mean, that's the best example. You can go from Mr. Irrelevant, basically, to someone that becomes, you know, seen as as, as important. And, you know, his stuff of Osprey was really good. It was really good stuff. And I think that he has the potential to tell stories of Jay and Osprey and those guys because he's connected to them in the same sort of class in a very similar way to Yoshihashi with, say, like Okada and that, except he's not teamed with them. So it's a... He's in that class. He can harbor the same resentment that we all assume Yoshihashi harbors, but like he's able to actually express it. So yeah. I feel like he's in a similar boat where it's like he's finally figured out what he had to do to be himself and to get himself over, and he figured it out, and we got to see it happen in real time. And not only that, as opposed to, say, someone like a Hanare who probably figured it out too, it feels like the company's got a plans for what that guy is as that guy moving forward, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd say David Finley deserves the Yoshi Hashi Encouragement Award. I have an honourable mention. Mm-hmm. Do I do I mention? <laughs> what the unmentionables? Yeah. Uh, which is would be the uh, the transition of Yo is what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Encouragement from sort of like you know, Thank Christ, so minimalist, barely a wrestler to to someone who's super interesting i i agree i do agree and i thought about yo for sure and the reason i didn't put him in as a nomination is because i felt like yo was intentionally tanking himself like he was it was it was part of the plan is it's a fucking bold move it's a bold move cotton but (laughs) i tell you it because we had seen him display personality before we had seen him care like he had been the charismatic like bubbly baby face guy and he basically 
had he kept trying that and not working, then I would say, yeah, for sure, he needs to figure it out. But he stopped trying. He literally just stopped trying. I've never seen anyone do it. Uh, so I think it was all part of the story. I still think it is part of the story. So I don't know what... Still interesting. I think it's in, it's encouraging maybe from a character perspective rather than so much from like a wrestler perspective. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's something... Yeah, it's like keep doing more of this because he's got a match with Hiromu and people are actually excited. People are actually yeah, like... Yeah. And they're kind of hoping... Wouldn't have said that not long ago. No, but they're actually like hoping that Yo... Because it feels fresh. Yeah, like how the fuck does Yo feel fresh? But he's wearing and he's wearing the black tights now. So. I, I too was going to put Yo as my nominee, but I drafted him quite high, and he did nothing for me, uh, despite the fact I still. <laughs> so he's still selfie. Yeah, yeah. Despite all the warnings, <laughs> the immediate. <laughs> remember, you drafted him, and I think my immediate sound was just immediate. Like I think I laughed. I think I thought, yeah, yeah. are you actually drafting him? I guess it's like you're not going to enjoy this, Red, because I'm pretty confident there's something happening with Yo, and it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I still stand by it because I won, <laughs> but I'm just saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but not because of Yo. <laughs> I. No. I, 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 Whereas I, I won the best of Super Junior Tag League precisely because of you, know, um, <laughs> because he was on the incline by that point. Fascinating, that's, right? Josh, Josh, that's why that was my favorite tournament. Fascinating, because, oh, yeah. You got that win. Um, but that's the the true spirit of the Yoshihashi. Uh, I just don't think he can go to Yo because no, I think he, I think he's I think he's cosplaying as Yoshihashi. That's what I think. I think that's what he's doing. He's like he's doing it on the weekends. He's a part-time Yoshihashi. That, that's what I mean. Our three guys are actually like legitimate, like they're true yeah, Yoshihashis. Yeah, losers, losers who are on the trajectory of becoming heroes. Yeah, you know, Yoshihashi's culture is not a is not a costume. You can't just you can't just you know appropriate the Yoshihashi. You have to be it. Um, this is gonna be interesting. Uh, best promo this year. Best promo. Who the and this is not necessarily who is the best promo. This is a question of. What was the best promo? Yeah, it's that's an easy one, man, for me personally. Aussie Open, uh, when they lost to Bishimon. Um... Do you know what that feels like? None of these fucking teams in this fucking tournament knows what that feels like. Do you know what it feels like to run the brackets every fucking night and to fall short? Three fucking years. Three goddamn fucking years, man. You don't know what that feels like. You don't know what that feels like. The pain, the uncertainty, none of you motherfuckers know what that feels like. I remember that night being a night where, you know, and I think... The Mark Davis one? Yeah, the Mark Davis one. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Like, like the reason why I went the Will Ospreay one, I'm now going to have to wait an entire year. You are. I don't, I don't see anyone topping that promo ever. But, I mean, the reason why I've gone the Mark Davis one is because that night was a very special night for me in wrestling because uh, when Bishamon won, it wasn't just you guys. It was everyone felt the pain. And I think Dave mentioned it too during uh, uh, after the after when we did the recording was that this, not only that, though, but as, a, as an Australian, having mm. pride in seeing these two guys go there. But <clears throat> so, like, we were so disappointed in the fact that Bishamon beat Aussie Open. But when Mark Davis cut the story and told the history of the two of them and just how it was their dream to be there, like 
you trying actually to win like, it. Yeah, yeah, Dream you actually like, you legitimately felt that. Like I was gutted for them, but I was happy Bisham on one. It was a great match. I was happy about that. Uh, and, and I'll still be on the record as saying that was a great match and the right team won. But the thing is, though, is that that promo, you could actually feel the legitimate, like, raw pain that the two of them actually had. Like, that, it really sucked actually watching that promo. It sucked as a fan, but I felt like a friend. You know what I mean? I, I was watching a friend of mine and yeah, I shared right. his loss with him. I lost, I shared their loss with them. And that's, it got me invested into Aussie Open for the coming year. Big time, absolutely big time. You're right. I think it also showcased what Davis, like what Davis brings in that team in terms of that dynamic. Because Fletcher, like Kyle Fletcher, didn't say anything at all. Really, he just sort of sold the the loss, and and Davis was sitting there really pushing this idea of, as you said, he'd come back from multiple injuries, and they were this was their opportunity. They finally they believed it, and they still. And what was cool, Red, as you said, is that they left that promo with the idea of we're still the best. Like there's still fervent belief yeah. in their head. Like, okay, we lost this tournament. We're still the best. We lost this one match, but it doesn't mean we're we're losers. And you're right. Like it sets up a compelling story as they go after um, Bishamon and particularly Yoshihashi from the way that they've continued to talk about him on Twitter. Um, and I, I'm like you, Red. After I watched that, I thought I. It was a late contender for promo of the year, but it was one of the most emotional promos in the sense that it was, it felt real. And maybe that's kind of what United Empire's kind of thing is. They're like this authentic team that they're tough boys, but they don't mind, you know, being vulnerable in front of the camera. And uh, he he got there and and I think made a lot of fans of of that team. I think it, it, it and from that respect to Reddit, it probably helped a lot of people that were feeling a bit dirty about the loss. Were like, okay. Yeah. It's it's there's something happening here. Like there's there's a there nothing says New Japan love you like you've got to go through some fucking pain because <laughs> that means that the big story is coming. You know. Yeah, and then, and here's an opportunity to connect with the audience emotionally in a different way, and yeah, get more yeah. following. Yeah, it definitely did. So yeah, it's a good one, Red. It's a good one. So yeah, just hold hold your Will Osprey till next year. Same as Osprey yes, Omega, you got to hold on to that for a whole say, year. That's like... just Wrestle Kingdom's just it is what it is. But it's if a promo beats that one, it deserves to be my promo of the year. Like if something possibly beats that Will Osprey one, but yeah, there I will mean, be. There will be. But the Mark Davis one definitely beats Will Osprey's. Twelve months of Jay. That's a big call, Red. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of Jay. Okay, I'm which really which are the J promos? Which uh, of the J promos are we going? So I what I one of the things I like about Jay's promos, and I think some of his better ones are when he loses because he tends to lose the plot. Uh-huh. I would agree, and I find that very fascinating. Uh, and you get to see some sort of character breakdown, and I, I always think that that's one of his most fascinating. Parts of his story is like when is this character actually going to fully break down and and, and evolve past where he's at? Um, but the Jay says fuck promo for me. You did it, huh? I guess some would say <laughs> this is karma, huh? Karma for the things I've done to you. Well, it depends how you look at it. Because without me, you wouldn't be where you are today. Now after today, people will know and speak 
your name because of me! You beat me. You beat me. Fuck! 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 It totally went viral. It's the one I remember the most. It's how I determine what I like the best. But it, before before Jay says fuck, it's like the sheer disbelief that he loses to Tama uh, and then he gets down on the floor and he's just like in shock. And that shock is kind of like with him in a in a certain way and he's emoting kind of like in in just this state of, yeah, disbelief, and then, and then the emotion pours out in, in uh, the the greatest, uh, the I don't know the greatest, um, yeah, twelve, thirteen fucks, whatever it was ever, um, yeah, that that was my favorite promo. I mean, there was many favorites, but that's that's one sort of. It's super memorable. Yeah, the the. That's what I, you're right. In some ways, I, what I sort of like about speaking, as you mentioned before, read about the Davis promo about vulnerability. What's interesting is Jay's like performative vulnerability. It's like his thing is like he, he basically talks his way through the breakdown. That's kind of his thing is like, as he's talking about it, he's like explaining how I lost to Tama Tonga. I lo- like, he yeah, he thinks- like, he, it's like, yeah, just verbalizing what's in his head. He's not even really cutting a promo. No. He's just like, I, this is, and we saw the same thing sort of repeat of, of, of structure repeated both Wrestle Kingdom. He did the exact yeah, same yeah, sort yeah. of thing as he's sort of just articulating the sort of the fragmented thoughts of disappointment in his head. And then it just, as I said, it, it crescendos with fuck, fuck, fuck. And the big fuck is like, it's just an iconic angry fuck. Um, and just help me Gator. It's like, I just love that. It'd be like, help, help me Gator. It's like, and as they sort of whimper off and, and it forced, uh, I think it gave us that, that as I've often mentioned in the past, I remember years back when they did, John Moxley cut that awesome promo on Juice and Juice could hear him. And like Juice is like having to like, they're like promoing side by side to elevate each other's game as they're doing it because you can kind of yeah. sense like, i got to lift it literally at the same time. Like Tom, that was a time, that was the night Tama Tonga did the, you know, you push me and I can fly. Like mm. that dynamic between those two guys was really they, they, that promo battle they were having as they were going through was really in, in, instructive, but that fuck is, it'll still get used. Something goes wrong on the internet, you know, something happens, that fuck's getting used. It's, it's when you get to viral, you've done well. Um, I've got a bunch of honorable mentions that I think I just want to flag that I was really excited. I think when it comes to Jay, I think the Jay clap promo deserves, uh, deserves mention um, just for cleverness in sort of ingenious is I'm going to speak in language, which I just thought was fucking, it's a kind of a move. There's no way to put it where he, <laughs> everyone knows he can speak Japanese too. That's the frustrating part about it. So everyone there is aware that he's done this in the past when he's in Osaka where he, you know, said goodbye to everyone in Japanese. And he's like, I'll speak in your language. Everyone's excited. He brings Oiwa up there and everyone's ready. And then he just starts clapping and he just claps for three minutes. It's like a family guy skit. He just does not stop. He just keeps going. The bits run tired, but he keeps pushing through it, and they picked up again. And the level of control he had over the audience whilst he was doing that, I thought was just, you know, incredible. Um, and nowhere else but New Japan Pro Wrestling would you see that. 
there's no other place that would just say, all right, the main event heels post-match are going to clap um, for four minutes, you know? Uh, that was great. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. talks through Kose Fujita uh, is one of the truly great, um, truly great. Uh, this one really, I wanted to put it on the list, it, but it's it's a tricky one because it's like, it's a, it's a comedy. Like, it's fucking hilarious. Like, it's a, it's a promo designed to establish the tone of the match in a way that I think that only Zach can do, where he's basically saying this is going to be a comedy match from the get-go. You know before the match starts exactly how Zach's going to approach it because he has dressed a man up as him and is talking for him, telling him what to say, and then having Fujita repeat it. It's just we should have known then. I think we did. We flagged it then. From that moment on, we were like, these two need to be a thing. It's like the new Mox and Shooter, and thank Christ they're doing it again. So it was it was an awesome moment, a great promo, fucking hilarious. Pumpkinhead was in there, like the bitch and fuck. He just he just likes saying it. He likes swearing. Fujita liked it, and you could tell he was really into it. Um, and I'm guessing because they don't get to do much of that at all in their thing, so he was like got a fucking hall pass and was just using it, and uh, that was great. But my favorite promo of the year, and it's the one that I still think is is the best example of, um, you know, we've talked about a bunch about shows. I know that we really were diff- really found it, you know, kind of infuriating the forbidden door build, you know, how frustrating it was from a story perspective, obviously from our, from our perspective as the sort of stuff we like to follow it was, it was felt like it was rushed because of all the, you know, all the factors, whatever. But the promo that Jay cuts, which I would, I don't know what you'd call it, but like the hangman shines promo. That's what you call a fucking bullet club strike, baby. And you know what, that message, that goes to you as well, hangman. You think you're the shit now because you had to run off, have your friends create a new company for you because you could shine there because you couldn't fucking shine here. You want me to remind you? Singles action, two, oh, to the motherfucking switchblade, and that zero is never gonna change. Never. And Adam, Cole, congratulations on the Owen Hart Invitational Championship, buddy. Very, very proud of you. We got Forbidden Door coming up, boys. Uh, at the press conference when he's got all the Bullet Club boys there and he's talking in the lead-up to Forbidden Door post-Dominion, he just obliterates Hangman in in a way that I think was it was unfair at a level of just he kept his everyone's copping straight adam adam cole copped a fucking left hook from out of nowhere and i don't know if he's you know it was just like what what did i deserve that for as jay basically eviscerates hangman page claiming uh which is a great line my favorite line of the year of i had to go and start your own company so you could go over you could shine over there because you couldn't fucking shine here which i think uh is Brilliant because Hangman can't you've got no comeback for that. There's nothing he could say. It's like if I stayed, I'm I'm the best. You were with me, you're gone, you're failing constantly. Those two guys, after that, after that um presser, after that promo, it was clear that that was should have been the rivalry. That is the rivalry. That should have been the story. They are the perfect match, they are the perfect dance partners. That promo is amazing. It set about eight different angles for Jay that he could go. The reason people are interested in Jay in AEW is has the roots are in that promo. The bit where he he condescendingly says that you know congratulations to my good friend Adam Cole for winning the uh, the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament. You know, great job, buddy. Good on you, bud. My good friend. 
just the level of just the ego at which he builds a whole thing about how Kenny Omega is scared of him and he beat Kenny for that US title, which is, again, we look in retrospect now, we look and think that's a very interesting phrasing that he's like, I beat him for that US belt and he ran away to start an own company because they couldn't handle the fact that I had surpassed him, that US belt and Kenny Omega being key in that story. And then he's tying everything, all of AW to him. So you're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. You, you wouldn't get, and he starts repeating all of the other AEW wrestlers' catchphrases as part of, you would not have this. You would not have unscripted violence. You would not have Britt Baker DMD. He's going through all of their stuff and says, so you're welcome. And I think the catalyst was crystallized that night. And I think there's 18 months of stories that we're, we will look back at that promo as the grounding for it. I think it's it was a masterclass in getting people invested without any, there was, there was no time. There was, there was six days to the show. He cut one hell of a promo and tied it all together. And I think if Jay wrestles Kenny or if Jay wrestles Hangman, if Jay, that promo will be referenced. So I think it was a, a ripper. Uh, okay, now for some uh, just some self indulgent bullshit. Let's go. Let's self wanking. Here is some self self wank water. Best show. No, no, no. This is not about wanking ourselves. This is about being wanked by our, our listeners. Now, the... <laughs> please wank me. <laughs> yes. No, this, look, this is just market research. All we're trying to do is figure yeah, yeah. out what the listeners out there felt was our best show. Now, we can explain what we think our best show was, but I'm interested to see what our listeners thought our best show was. So, from our perspective, what do we feel? Like our best, who are not? What is our nominations for our uh, here at We Work Stiff? Our best show for 2022. Well, it's going to be the Robbie episode. All righty then. Just when you thought we were done, we are officially back, and this could be the best episode ever. So strap on your backpack. It is time for the best happy lunch you've ever had on the way for your commute. Because guess what? We are not going to be mute. And we have a gigantic thing today. We have the sniper of the skies himself. We have Australia's own New Japan pro wrestler, Robbie Eagles. Hey, I, I thought I was going to be a doctor as well today. <laughs> Pretty pivotal, really. <laughs> I mean, you can't. I mean, you, you get an actual wrestler from New Japan who, who actually is Australian, who happens to be one of the nicest living legends of all time, who happens to be one of the greatest technical wrestlers who's a higher flyer of all time, uh, making us part of wrestling canon. So we're now part of the wrestling universe now, uh, by default, thanks to Robbie. Um, he gave me a free shirt. Um at least within the confines of that brewery, anyway. The the any one of the draft episodes, any one of the draft episodes, are always bangers. I think they're always really fun to do. Uh, I think they're great introductions to who we are and what we do. I would, I would, if we're if we're adding a draft episode, I think that the uh, it needs to be the G one episode with all the extra flair that Josh put in there with like um, the, the music NBA. and. Uh, sound and all that sort of stuff that was that was really cool that was done that was our probably our best produced episode and now subway delivered by uber presents the stiff one draft 2022 
Yeah, that was a that it came with a bunch of bells and whistles. That one. Yeah. Was, was, was that the one where my intro was and now selling Subway? Yeah, the Subway. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a great intro. It was perfect yeah. for the show. Well, the intros make the show. So, I mean, the better the intro, the better the show is going to be. So, you want to re-record tonight's one, then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're right, Dave. That first one was that first that G1 draft was, and I think that was a really we knew when we were doing that, like it was felt like it was going to be a lot of listeners were coming in potentially. So we're trying to make sure that we sort of presented the format for people so they knew what it was. Um, with a bit of clarity. I think we did a decent enough job of that off the back of a bit back of that one. Yeah. And I mean, that, that will always hold a, uh, a special place in the, we work stiff um, heart because uh, effectively the, the, the idea of the draft is kind of, you know, when Stella got her groove back, it's when we sort of like figured out a thing that worked for us that was very different. So um, yeah, so that's why we always do tournament. We well, yeah, now now we're doing drafts for every tournament, pretty much. So that'll be the the uh, the main formula. But um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that one in particular because of um, all the extra work that went into it, and uh, it set up the G1 really well and really sort of showed what you know that idea as a whole. I think it's a great idea, and it's lots of fun for us to do too. So, but yeah, I mean. I don't think anything's beaten the Robbie episode, but I think that's worth nomination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree. The stiff one draft special. Um, yeah, and I think it establishes a baseline too that like next year, like we'll do drafts for all the tournaments, but the stiff one will always be the big one. Yeah. And what can we get for the next one? You know, that's kind of the idea. Like we established a baseline of production. It's like, okay, well, what's the next stiff one going to be? Like, where do we go next? That's kind of something to think about as we move forward. It's always going to be that that um and i'll, I'll put it again because nothing's gonna there's not gonna be uh fuck it we're i think Robbie's winning this by a landslide i yeah. also think the g1 the stiff one draft can get in there um this will be this will, won't be popular if you read but i do think <laughs> i do think josh and dave figure out a format by accident uh with the color of tai chi is oh, yes, it gets a nomination. You get what you get at this point, but I sincerely thank you for listening. Uh, enjoy if you can, and if you don't, let us know the debut episode of the double feature. <laughs> Where are we headed, Dave? What are we? Um, I'm, I'm cracking a cider for the occasion. Oh, a Dickens is out. A Dickens, yeah. <laughs> it's got no hope of winning. Red, this will no. be this will be great for you, Red, because you'll get to see the votes and you'll be able to finally see what I've been telling you all along. No one <laughs> wants to listen to the, the double feature. No one wants to listen to just Dave and I because it will not get votes. I will guarantee you this. The colour of Tai Chi, because... What it represents is what this podcast can be. It's a secondary thing that just exists out in the space when nothing's happening. You know, most New Japan pod- podcasts, they look for different things to talk about. 
we can find a way to tie something to this to make it compelling to help propel the story of the year. And when we look back at the breaking of Suzuki Gun, what what ended up happening? Yeah, yeah. The Color of Tai Chi episode is so tied to that master and apprentice dynamic. Yeah, yeah. And the legacy. And the legacy sequel concept. And then you look at what that faction has now become. They are three Suzuki Guns. You know, they've been split into, they're all the legacies. So to me, the reason I like that is because it did not have a format when it started the recording. When we hit record, there was no format. When we finished, we said that's the structure of a show that we can do as something when we have nothing much to talk about. We can try to find something that would be good for that, you know, like, or, or if we see something like that, we have to add an additional episode one week. And we will do that throughout the every now and again. One week, we're like, that's a cool story. I've seen a film. I like that thing. Let's do a, a, a double feature. Let's chuck it in. Yeah. And you never know when it's going to come. You never know when it's going to be there. But yeah, let's get it on the let's get it on the nomination. Put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in there. I know Red's not happy, but I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, it deserves to be there. It deserves to be there. If if you guys propelling the show as you do every week is what people vote for, and and that's that makes everyone happy, then then that makes me happy. I'm looking uh, at our I'm looking at our top ten episodes ranked by listeners and. Uh, Nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. Uh, I see the draft special. I see the Robbie Eagles one on top by a fucking landslide. Uh, Color of Tai Chi is not to be seen, but you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We shall. That see. will change with the the, uh, the year that Tai Chi has. <laughs> go back to that evergreen content. That's right. That is a hundred percent. You're right. When he's fucking going for the world belt, there'll be people going, "How has this happened?" Or when he kicks the shit out of Kawada. One of the nights, I had, was that a blackout? I had work, or I was sick. I think it might have been a combination of all three, nearly. No, I think it was. I, I think know, it was did an episode, and then we did a. David, I just kept talking. Yeah. Oh, you two kept talking, and I had to go. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was, we already did the episode. It was a oh, second yeah, one. you had to go, and then I, uh, yeah, we oh, we got three quarters of it through an episode, and you had to go, and then, yeah, 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 it was two episodes. Had, it was literally two. Yeah, we released two, two yeah. that week. Yeah, so it wasn't, and that's why we said it's not one that replaces the episode. It's just a bonus. Some weeks there will be a bonus. Well, if you want, to, we can go. I can do an um an intro and try and bump it up a bit more. So, all right, now we get. Now we get serious. Serious time. The big, the big awards. The, the pointy end. We're at it. The the mat. The... It's now time to hit the ropes. Award style. It is. It is the end of year awards nominations. Hit the ropes. The big three, um, which includes the two big, two of the big categories that most places do, and our big category that only we really care about. I think. Um, Okay, let's start off first with best match for 2022. Best match for 2022. I am very curious about this one because I've had conversations with both of you regarding this and I'm interested to see what you pick uh, and why. I completely forgot about Okada and Shingo start of the year, like, you know. Mm -hmm. Carter and Will start of the year too. Yeah, Carter and Will. Um, yes, Carter and Will G one final. You know, I've got a couple in case you're wondering. I'm gonna have to go with the one that I probably was rooting the hardest for. 
like legit rooting going batshit insane for like i'm on a personal level like uh and it would have to be robbie eagles versus el fantasmo el fantasmo i may hate you but thank you for bringing out the best in me Um, which I'm pretty sure you might have even had in your list, Josh, that I had in my list as well. Or did, one of you did. My, yep, my match of the year. When we were talking about this kind of stuff, like out of every match I was thinking about, an honorable mention to like FTR and Aussie Open, but the Robbie Eagles El Fantasma match to me was really a really big coming out party. I felt for both of them. I thought the two of them elevated each other. I thought the match had such a good pacing. I thought there was an intensity to it that really, and like, you know, after watching Robbie and El Taz and, and, and ELP for a number of years, I think I just really got behind Robbie. I was so behind Robbie in that match that I just was going batshit insane. Like Robbie, Robbie, Robbie at, at home and everything. And yeah, I just, for me personally, it's a homer call. It really is. Uh, but I genuinely believe to me that was the best match of the year. Like in, in all 100% honesty, I will say that with no reservation whatsoever to me, Robbie Eagles versus ELP was the best match of the year. Yeah. For, for everything that I like in pro wrestling, it's, it was the best match. Um, it would be my nomination and I'll, I'll second that red. Um, I've got a couple others I'll chuck in as well, but I, I can't go without talking about, I think, like I said, the best, the best type of matches are the ones that, um, like I, I watch a match. I'm not someone that necessarily goes back and watches matches again or anything. I, I, I'm about propulsion of story and through, you know, mm. character progression and matches are a key part of that. And it's not, I'm not one of these people. It's like, well, you know, we don't need matches in pro wrestling. Cause that's, that's, you end up getting to the point of like Finn's brain at that point, you know, like it's, I'm not oh, yeah. in that yeah. thinking. Yeah. It's not to say you don't love. No, the, the matches are yeah. really important, but they're like sporting events. They're alive. They're so much better experienced in a live moment where you don't know where it's going to go. And that's what makes wrestling so fucking interesting is that it's this idea of it's like cinema. It's like it's like live cinema, like this idea of it's all mm. happening and at the same time and you've got a story being played out in the in the moment. They're telling it. They're doing it intentionally. There's, a, there's like I said, intentionality to it, which is very different from sport. But it's also experienced live when you don't know what's going to happen makes it even better, and it feels realer when it's experienced in that in that setting. That match, uh, in particular, with pre, uh, so it's during the best Super Juniors, um, easily the best match, the best Super Juniors. Like it's not even close. It was a final level best Super Juniors um, match in a Corican main event. The first time Robbie Eagles won a singles main event in New Japan Pro Wrestling. The the crowd was the most vocal. I had heard a non-vocal crowd, a clap crowd, the most vocal crowd I'd heard. Everything about it was intentional. The story of the match of ELP coming out with the uh, three years in the making on the back of his like jacket, you know, this whole idea that this was important. And it was really interesting because it comes from sort of nowhere. It's like, you know, it's like 
you know, middle of the tour, or whatever, like, and it feels like a big main event. Like it feels big. The the subtleties of the story of ELP not looking at Robbie, the the whole idea, like as it starts, you know, ELP's serious. He's playing it serious, but he wants to embarrass Robbie. Like that's his whole thing. He wants to embarrass him. And when I was thinking about it, like for me, like I said, best match has to be macro story. So the story of that three years, the story of the next three years are all existing at the same time, playing out in the micro that is the match itself. So the match itself is the window through which we are looking into past, present, and future, all happening at the same time. That's the best pro wrestling. So what they're doing is they're telling the story of their past three years. They're telling the story of each character. Like I said, El Fantasmo looking at Robbie Eagles as like, he's the bizarro Robbie Eagles. Robbie Eagles is this good boy. But ironically, has a very similar story in the sense of El Fantasmo. Fantasmo is a baby face his entire career until he goes and joins the Bullet Club, where he becomes the bad guy. Same as Robbie Eagles, baby face is his run. He goes to the Bullet Club, he turns bad. But unlike El Fantasmo, he leaves. He doesn't, he recognizes he doesn't belong in this space. Whereas El Fantasmo, you know, gives into his, you know, avarice and, and becomes the bad guy. And so in his, in his head, he's constantly always, and we saw it when we were in Melbourne, he's always. ELP's goal was always to corrupt Robbie, like to make him go bad. The story of the the matches of going three years back to when they both debuted in the Super Juniors at the same time, and they're there together. And the story of that was always ELP coming to try to interfere on the behalf of Robbie. Like, why don't you do that? And when they wrestle each other, he would cheat where Robbie would not cheat. He's wanted to corrupt him for so long that he's now given up on this matches him giving up trying to corrupt him. And instead he wants to embarrass him. He wants to humiliate him. He wants to prove that what he is, is a much better version than Robbie. And so that whole beginning, the whole story of that match is just him ultimately, you know, the first five minutes is him like trying to one up Robbie and Robbie is replicating his whole thing. He's doing the exact same stuff. He's doing the he's doing the uh, the the strut. He's doing the El Fantasmo things to show, you're not going to embarrass me. I can do whatever you can do. And it's a pointless endeavor. Like, let's wrestle. Let's actually go. Like, that was the idea. I love the story of the match because the story of the match is ELP trying to embarrass Robbie, but what ends up happening is Robbie humbles ELP. Like, he becomes, Ooh. he he turns at the five-minute mark. He fucking throws Robbie into the post. And from that time on, he goes vicious. And you're looking at this, like, story of these two guys over three years playing out here. And as I'm watching it, I'm just thinking the next few years of where they can go as elp like legitimately he's not fast enough because he gets his legs taken out that's the whole idea of the match is robbie's technical capacity is so much better than anybody else's that he breaks him down and so he loses his his speed advantage he doesn't have it against robbie and it like again a light bulb goes off in elp's mind is like i don't have the speed to compete with these juniors so it's this sense of like i need to i'm gonna get bigger I've got to get stronger because what he does have over him is a strength advantage. He constantly beats him up. He's like any time they do the the dueling uh, clotheslines and shit, Robbie comes off second best. So you can see in the body of this match, in the middle of the best Super Junior tournament, you can see that ELP is going to move up. You can just sense it. Like he's this idea of I've got to get bigger, stronger. I can't compete with the technical and the speed. And then Robbie's the guy that's being able to sort of plucky underdog is just dogged determination focusing on a limb and breaking him down not getting caught into any of the fucking drama focus on the prize the job at hand so he's crafting this very clear understanding of what sniper of the skies can be of this and he even 
he articulates it post-match in the promo about one goal, stop dreaming. I got to focus. I got to do this. So you've got this perfect situation, a match that's telling that story, that's got high fly spots, some ridiculous shit. ELP's doing fucking backflips off the top into the crowd. They do the crazy high spots. They they start to replicate each other's moves. I think that's really telling from ELP because he only replicates the moves of the Bullet Club leaders in the past. Like he's a meta wrestler. That's what he is. He models and mimics those guys because he's trying to showcase that he's telling a story. He's telling that Bullet Club leaders of the past. I will I will bet you any money he could beat fucking Tama Tonga with a fucking uh, Blade Runner. Like. His idea is to adopt the personalities of those who he respects, but also who those he wants to, to surpass. The fact that he starts to model and replicate and steal Robbie Eagle's moves in the match, to me, is an indication, ironically, in the weird, bizarro logic of ELP, that he respects the dude. So, like, he's trying to beat him with his own stuff, only for Robbie to do the exact same thing back to him, which I think is, again, showing that Robbie is, I can do what you can do without sacrificing who I am to beat you. Perfect. A perfect story makes clear sense. The right guy wins. It's awesome. It was my match of the year the moment I saw it. We did a whole episode on it immediately. I think I think it's the reason we got the Robbie episode, perhaps, is because it was like we just went all in on it saying like what we saw at that point. And it wasn't Dave Meltzer didn't rate it. Well, he didn't actually rate it, he didn't watch it. So people that are out there that are looking for people that get star ratings, this sort of stuff, the discourse wasn't around for it. It is the most underrated match of the year. It is it's clearly like if you want what pro wrestling should do is further both guys should come out of it stronger than they did going into it and you should have a clear understanding of who the people are by the fact that they're engaging in the combat that's to me how it should work if you if you go and have a match and you leave it confused or you don't know exactly what's happening they haven't done a really good job of telling a story these guys built something off the back of each other's relationship that i think they have to return to like I just want ELP to win the Never Belt because I know that on that Robbie episode, Robbie mentioned that he wanted to look at Never the Never title this year. He wanted to go open weight. Yeah. That's to me, that's his rival. That is his generational rival. And he doesn't have to go up to keep wrestling that guy. And it will be the as I mentioned before, you know, when I talked about ELP, I said, you know, he's been a supporting character and he helped Robbie uh, you know, better further articulate that sniper character. I think Robbie repays the favor when he goes to wrestle him because Robbie keeps beating him. That's the thing. Robbie kept beating him. Like that was the lesson that ELP had to learn is that I can't beat this guy despite like the fact that I'm stronger and I've got all this stuff. I, he's won the junior belt. He's won all the stuff I want. I can't be him because he, again, similar to what Jay is, he can't recognize the faults in his own game based on his attitude. But when he goes and wins his never belt and when he gets to that position, he will beat Robbie Eagles. And he'll beat him because he'll stop worrying about fucking trying to embarrass the guy. He'll stop worrying about trying to prove he's the best and he'll just be the best. And I think that will be the the arc for ELP with Robbie. So I think this match was essential in the two-year arc of ELP for sure. So it's my match of the year. It was my match of the year then um, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So that's what technically that's my honorable mention because you mentioned it, Red. So I would then add uh, my other one, which would be uh, Naito and Osprey from the G1 semifinal. Good showing. One more to go, us. One more. もう一回と内藤に声をかけました。Osprey had a great year. Had an awesome year. Wrestled a lot of great matches. Um, I don't think what what I was thinking about today was 
He wrestled a lot of great matches. Really, really good stuff. That was his best win, though. And the because this year he wrestled, he had two really, really, really good matches with Okada, and he lost both of them. Yeah. The match against Naito, to me, was his best match because it involved two things that I think people don't think about with Osprey. It was sloppy. Like it was a sloppy match. There was a lot of stuff that they just they didn't vibe early with it. But it was fast. And there's a really interesting dynamic where we got to realize, oh, Naito's still that man, which I think is really important in the matches that both, you know, both guys bring something and everyone's like, holy shit. But what I loved about the match was that the story of Naito's G1, we all remember it. Naito loses early. We're like, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, the run's coming. Yeah. Naito's running the table. He's running that fucking table and he's crushing it. So the build's coming. And we're all thinking off the back of what they did at Best of Super Juniors. Despi, Hiromu, they're going back to that tried and true formula. They're going back to the established aces of the position to battle it out, to reaffirm and reestablish each of those leaders in each dynamic, right? So Hiromu gets to be the junior. Obviously, Okada's going to become the, you know, the established as the leader of the, you know, the heavies. But to do that, he has to beat his generation rival because that's what they did there. So you, everyone's seeing this. It's Okada, Naito. Naito's doing it. Then Naito beats Zach in about 12 seconds the night before. And we all go, oh, Naito's going to have a big main event style match coming up. Because we've got he's got to have a rest because he's got to have two matches coming up. Naito's got two matches coming up. So they're yeah. resting him early. All right. So they're building this, building this, building this. And then they flick the switch. And Naito and Osprey go out there and they wrestle a match that's unlike anything else. It's done really quickly. The start is, I said, sloppy and messy, and they're not mistiming. They're mistiming stuff, but they're not mistiming it in the way they're being effective. It just looks like a struggle. Everything looks like a struggle between them, but it's done really quickly. It's vicious. It's tough. That it's just elbows and fights, but it's counter on counter on counter. And it's this idea of Naito being this like I'm so clever. I can counter anybody's thing. I can turn anything to destino. I can adopt. I can adapt. I can duck. I can, but this timing is exceptional. But Osprey's there with him and it's this idea that osprey is this sort of undeniable guy he will not be stopped and you sense the change halfway through the match that osprey is going to win this you can kind of feel like it's happening and you don't kind of believe it and and the hope spot and the near falls capture everyone because they're so convinced that naito is going to win yet the structure of the match is so compelling that osprey is going to do it i just felt like it was a sprint they did it it was so unlike you know, what we would see in Osprey's matches this year. I think Osprey's main event matches his, were so great, but they were quite long and they were, you know, they had, they were not formulaic, but they adopted to a form. This one was unlike anything else. And I think it got completely forgotten because Osprey would go on and wrestle like Carter in this sort of epic final and be like, holy fucking shit. But it's the same way that I I think about the Jay Okada matches. I like the Jay Okada match that ended in like 18 minutes or whatever, because I yeah, just think yeah. that it just, it played with the form and it hints at bigger things to come. And that's yeah. like, to me, that's, that's what you want. It's like, it was a really good match, but it hints that. that I preferred, I preferred that match over the final. So did I. That's right. And that's, and that's because it feels like two characters that exist out there that are going to, they're like these floating planets that will interact at some point. And when they do, you can expect this kind of thing where Osprey unlocks in Naito something that is 
He was incredible in that match. Naito was incredible. Everyone went away like, holy fuck, how good is this guy? I think mm-hmm. that is ultimately the takeaway is that, yeah, it's Osprey's, was it Osprey's best performance? His most crisp? Probably not. But it was the match where I felt like he got the most out of it because it was affirming him as the next guy. He beat Naito in a semifinal in a G1 context. He beat him clean as a whistle. Like he clean, clean as a sheet. He beat him. And, and I think that for me, every great match Osprey's been in, the people talk about it, a great, 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 great. He doesn't, he's selling and losing. That was the one where he came out on top and looked like he belonged on top. So for me, that's the, if the story of the year was elevating Osprey, that's the moment it, it crystallized. So uh, yeah, that would be my match of the year. So the pick. Yeah. Well, you just talked about both of the matches I was going to talk about. But anyway, it's all good. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were my two favourite matches for the year, actually. Um, but I figured that they would be nominated. Um, so, to me, Bet's best match is, like, it's a weird category because I don't know if it has to be the best for me to like it the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I the other the other ones that I had sort of written down were well, two in particular that I really really liked and that and that stuck with me, uh, and that's how I sort of determine best match or favorite match for me for the year. Whether they make um, the the nominations or not, I'm not sure. But uh, one was the Kari and Iwatani match from Crossover. She needs our help. She needs our help. You got to cheer for her, right? Um, I really like that. Just uh, from women, just do emotion uh, in a much more impactful. Well, not much more. Just in a, a different, impactful way that. Pulls on the heartstrings, you know. Feels more integral to the match. Just feels like it's 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 like they start for motion, they figure out everything else. Yeah, yeah, and the you know, story around uh, the two of them being in the the three musketeers uh, for stardom and Ky- Kyrie going away and then coming back and then the, somewhat being some sort of um, difficult relationship there as a result of that. Uh, and that story still being told. There wasn't. There wasn't sort of. There wasn't forgiveness at the end. There was. Uh, this. This will continue. So. Yeah, interesting. I really like that match. I thought it was fun. Uh, I really like. Uh, I really like. Both. Both women were amazing, and it was just sort of interesting to see. Uh, New Japan's presentation of. Um, stardom. In that whole event, I had written down, Dave, degree of difficulty. So I thought it had the highest degree of difficulty for any match this year in terms of what it had to do because they'd introduced a new title. 
right? That was that was they had to introduce a brand new belt built. Like you you talk about all the time, Dave, about the importance of identities with titles. Like, what is the IWGP Women's Belt going to be? How does it separate itself from the Stardom stories? How does it make its way into New Japan position? Right. So they have to do that. They're also telling that story, the Three Musketeers version story, that they have to have going through that as well. So they have got that part coming yeah, on to, to it. People that. Yeah, many what viewers that wouldn't have have no viewing knowledge of stardom, much like me, pretty much coming in completely fresh for the most part. You know, yeah, right. a completely different style of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. They're following Osprey, so no one this in the year of twenty twenty two, no one wants to follow Osprey. They're following Osprey and Shooter, who's the hot new baby face town. You know, right? Yeah. All right, they're main eventing uh, for the first time. Ever like this whole like it's historic literally i mean it's called historic crossover it's a massive historic position all of those things are going into that and they go out there and they as i said we talked about it when we did the rest kingdom review about an unabashed you know new japan main event they went there and had an unabashed stardom main event style they went and said we're going to do what we do and trust trust that this will work it's like building a flying machine and run to the edge of the cliff they had to believe in themselves that they could do it and that the audience there the paying audience were going to be committed to seeing that and i felt as you mentioned dave an emotional connection the, the crowd like the, the commentary did well charlton did really well whacker fucking i i was yeah, i fell in love it. she was so great yeah she's crying at the end i'm just like oh my god but the the like I said, the the style and everything we'd seen throughout the night of these sort of like holy shit, these these women move quickly. They they they're impressive. They do some really innovative stuff, and you get caught up in that a bit. You can get caught up in the or oh, they're like like the spots because it's so innovative or or, mm. or novel. You're like oh that's really interesting, but as you mentioned, the emotion component when we got to the main event, it felt real it felt like there was a struggle and there was there was resentment it felt like there, there was like a bit of shit being worked out yeah um, and my being this this you know the ace of the company you know and you know the, the tanahashi comparisons you know for whatever they but that that's what it is it's just watching someone who just can convey emotion and can get investment at a level that you just don't see other people be able to get. Like you feel like she's carrying the hopes and dreams of the entire company, the entire audience, everybody's coming with her and they're just willing her on to do this. And you can see in her this exasperation of when it's not possible and I can't go anymore, but I keep getting up and I keep going. Yeah. yeah. And the introduction of, of, of zombie Iwatani. Yes. Well. Right. Yeah. yeah cool like this idea as this like because they're you know they're two tiny women really and they're just like i'm showing so much power it was so cool without level of investment you find yourself wanting her to win mm. and knowing that it feels like Kyrie's gonna get her like it's just like that's to me is like we talked about blockbusters like that's that's blockbuster with emotion like a match yeah. that can you come in completely devoid of any context but feel like you've it's what, it's what titanic hoped to be <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right it's like but you know like when you walk in on an argument it's kind of yeah. like you you've just walked in, in a room and you just feel like you just you just walked in on an argument here there's a, there's a vibe there's a feel like these two people are beefing at a level that you know everyone's a bit uncomfortable there's a feeling that they can emanate an emotion they can emanate that you walk in on that it feels like something is happening under the surface that you can pick up on 
but you can still enjoy it as a spectacle of amazing pro wrestling. It's a great match of like the struggle to to be the first champion. That in itself should be enough, but it's all that backstory that, as I said, Charlton did a good job. But even without that, I think you can sense the backstory because mm. when at the end of it, when they're fucking in tears and they're, you, as you said, Dave, it's, it's not a congratulations, I've been bested, well done, you know. It's like, it's it's recognition, I think. It's like, yeah, it's like, I see you, but I'm not happy about this and I'm still pissed off at yeah, you for what you've done. Yeah. This is not over. And, and almost a sense of like, Mo is like, you better you better represent us. So the story of Kyrie going forward is like, especially now we know it's Mercedes, Yeah, you yeah. better represent us. Do not, not embarrass us against this outsider. Yeah. Don't represent what you where you were. Yeah. Where you left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's playing out there, as you see, because Mo is the perfect representation of that. So if mm. you wanted to convince people that stardom something you should be getting into, the perfect story to play it off there because you get the benefit of Kyrie being the big star that people internationally, that people know, but you still get the sense that stardom wrestlers care about stardom the same way that new Japan's top aces care about their company. And they represent it in the way they perform, the way they act, the way they carry themselves. Mayu being that person, they said she should be the first championship champion to represent it. They got the same benefit because they're able to have her tell us what the championship should represent. And now Kyrie gets a story of can she live up to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's perfect. So remember I said like past, present, future meet at the same time? Perfect pro wrestling. That's how you do it. Like, yeah, I had it. It was my, um, it was, I had it on my little list of, um, does it qualify? But it does. It's an IWGP championship match. Yeah. It qualifies on a New Japan show. I was going to say off the back of that, if we had a best show of the year, I would have had um, New Japan X. Thought I, yeah, it was great. Uh, and then yeah, my um my dark horse sneaky nomination that I of a match that I really loved just because I remember it and the clash of styles and I think I went on a bit about that aspect of it was um uh my boy Kenta and Zach from the G one I loved yep. that match. Yep, that was Noah came back for one night. Noah of the mid two thousands came back. <laughs> For one night, yeah. Again, if you, you look back and think, man, Zach had a great year, didn't he? Fuck yeah, yeah, <laughs> didn't yeah. He, didn't he what? Holy shit. It's so good that they've put that belt on him now and he's finally got that and he's going to craft that and yeah. his image and that's he's the perfect guy to be the first. Yeah. Sets it up so well. And, you know, he probably have multiple reigns you would imagine because it's fits his style where it just proved how well it fits his style yeah kenta's peaks were good too this year because kenta tanahashi happened at the beginning of the year and yeah 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 i, I mean i love that match as well i don't, but... I, don't I think I, I don't think i can comfortably endorse it though <laughs> i don't think I, yeah yeah i, I saw a, i've got to send it to you dave i saw a little photo someone took a still of that because i must have come around in discussion because Kenta's wrestling Tanahashi, so they, they yeah. used the steal of where Tana's moved the ladder, and Kenta's just in the air, suspended with his legs. Like <clears throat> it is, it's horrifying. He's like fourteen feet up in the air. It's just unreal, an unreal moment. Um, yes, okay. Honorable mention. I'll put. It'll be noted. Julie noted. 
And then honorable mention for best match to stardom, like New Japan X. For best, I I, I don't think there needs to be a, a. We didn't put in best show this year, and I think it's because I think to in a lot of respects we probably look more long term, you know, tracking yeah. stuff, so tournament style, or like we track across a, a few shows or follow characters. But for me, yeah, historic crossover was was my show of the year. I thought that was fucking great. Um, I thought it was the forbidden door that forbidden door, you know, like it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, the way the way it should have, yeah, the uh, I mean, it goes to show how much it helps when the two companies are under one umbrella and yeah. you can uh, cohesively book things. <laughs> yeah. We'll get a, we'll get an interesting look when we look at Noah versus New Japan to see if they can do. Yeah. As a adversarial style, whether it can have a similar, it's exciting off the back of crossover where they can deliver something similar. You know, we'll see. Okay, best story. The this is like the WeWork Stiff Award, really. This is like the stiffy, the big stiffy uh, for story of the year for twenty twenty two. Wasn't a year of the most overt stories. No. But I feel like on retrospect, there were some real standouts. <laughs> I'll just go up the uh I like stories. I like stories being told in a match. I like stories being long term. Uh I think we all discussed about this one in our WhatsApp thing. Uh but the Suzuki Goon ending. I yep. don't think in terms of storyline there's anything more badass ever than a faction. I've never seen it before, but a faction uh <laughs> disbanding by beating the shit out of each other. And, and then, uh, but then staying friends and loving each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. we've seen we've seen factions break up by beating the shit out of each other, but never uh, lovingly. You know, like yeah. never, never gentlemanly. You know, yeah, but not like planned. It's just like, all right, we're gonna have a match. We're but, we're ending. Yeah. I, I'm holding everyone back. You guys need to propel yourselves further. You've, you've I've taken you as far as you can go. <laughs> well, well, Suzuki then said, "You're holding me back." Yeah, holding me back. Yeah. Brilliant from Suzuki. Classic. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, this year had some pretty cool storylines going on, but the, for me, that it, it's just the most badass thing I've. And once again, Minoru producing, like, if you go back a couple of years ago, to he has the most badass way to lose a hair versus hair match, where he grabs the chair and puts it in the middle of the ring and cuts his own hair off. Like, that's still one of the most badass things I've ever seen. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense for his faction to go out, uh, guns blazing, riding off into the sunset in the most badass way. And people were legitimately crying i know people who are crying during that match oh for sure and i think that what you hit on there red is exactly what we talk about a bit about story versus character because that's the story of them is also the story of minoru who's a character in the sense that why is he able to have the most badass sort of hair versus hair story and then why is he able to have the most sort of badass team breakup it's because it's staying true to the character of Minoru Suzuki what would he do so the story itself is a is a product of the character themselves and I think that the Suzuki Gun story the ending as you mentioned the, the match the story in the match is great but what I loved about that story and we mentioned it before when the uh you know the nomination uh for you know Kara Taichi is that that story was happening the whole year that was this mm-hmm. one of the stories of 2022 was this what's going on with Suzuki Gun like People were flagging it. It was something that we, as followers of New Japan Pro Wrestling, were constantly questioning of, like, is Taichi, is it Taichi Gun already? Like, and when you think about it, like, who were Taichi under Taichi? It was always Doki. And we always mentioned, oh, he's brought in Doki and stuff. It's like, and those guys have 
sort of Taka and Taichi, you know, Taika Taichi yeah. Mania, they're basically just four guys. That's a thing. That's the actual name. Like, that's what they're yeah. going with. Right. Fuck yes. And they've got a logo on everything now. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's all all ornate, like very Taichi. Um, so we were tracking it. What's happening with Zach? Will Zach break? Where is that going? What's up with Suzuki? He's, he's going on these US tours. He's separating from this from themselves. What's what's the go there? So the story of Suzuki Gun disbanding was kind of the story of the year, where it was like, as you mentioned, it was the need for them to grow up and leave the they leave the nest. Each one of them, Despi, Taichi, Zach, all finding that they'd outgrown the faction. To me, that was a, a story told over the year. And I can easily mention, you know, and and it doesn't count, but I think it does in a lot of respects. Is that this is we can't mention Taiki Taichi and Taka Taichi Despi Mania matches uh, in match of the year, but they can fit in story of the year because they're part of the New Japan story that fits. Like they're the, they're part of the whole archetype of each wrestler. Those matches were telling us where this place was going in terms of where each of them were stepping out and developing their own identity. So, yeah, I think story of the year Suzuki Gun. The, the last year of Suzuki Gun, I think, is a we will look back on as a really important story because the future is yet to be written with these guys. And I think all of them are, the, I said, Zach, Taichi, Despi, big years ahead. And it's, yeah. New Japan likes to book two, Gato likes two year stories. So, yeah. I think this is year one of the Suzuki Gun arc. So, we're in for something special, I think. If you like Suzuki Gun, I know people were sad about the disbanding, but they're—I think—they're becoming something new. This is the chance for them to go out and shine. I think we're going to see it. Um, so yeah, I'm with you, Red. Great story. Okay, my story of the year. I've got—I'm interested in this because I—I just you mentioned before, Red, about the—and I sort of stated the two-year thing. Mm. But I was like whether I should make it now or not, but I feel like I want to do it now because I feel like the story is, was the story of New Japan 2022. And that would be uh, Osprey and the United Empire are elevated. And I think that at the beginning of the year, it's kind of hard to go all the way back to this. Osprey started out kind of like of a heel that was like a plucky, arrogant heel. And his faction, the United Empire, were these guys that were losing a bunch they lost a lot they lost all at wrestle kingdom they were not seen as a sort of they were seen as a tough group that were inexperienced or whatever this year this for me the story was a consistent focus on osprey becoming the guy like and it kind of happened a little bit to some extent under my nose where i wasn't very conscious and cognizant of it as it was happening because i was too focused on like Jay White or whatever and what was happening at the main event scene that I hadn't kind of realized that I feel like Osprey's probably surpassed him in terms of overall investment to the company and overall investment from the company. I feel like this year Osprey wrestled a lot in New Japan. He wrestled a lot everywhere, but there was a consistent, like coherent story. And it's just, it's an interesting thing. Like you can get given the belt. That's great. That's all that's okay. But if you don't have necessarily a, a really juicy story or something that's that's connecting with people, then it doesn't really mean all that much versus someone whose job is literally, we're going to elevate this US title and that is what you're going to do. And we're going to focus on that as, an, as a company directive 
it is part of our expansion or whatever to get to this point. Will Ospreay's year was focused on him showcasing the best of New Japan Pro Wrestling, the spirit of New Japan Pro Wrestling, literally uses the token, the fighting spirit idea. He talks about that now and showcasing that around the world and showcasing that on behalf of New Japan. He became the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling in the West. And I think that it was a consistent story, both as a, you know, behind the scenes, but also in sort of kayfabe, the story of him was was that. Like it was that US belt became this thing that, as you mentioned, Dave, I thought it was going to be Juice. Like that was the, it all felt like Juice was, that was where it was headed. And Juice had stolen the belt and Juice was the rightful champion and and Osprey had been getting screwed by referees. And he had like that little sub story was like, what's going on here? And I think probably in retrospect, they probably had something they were working on that they had to change. They would have had to have. I would, yeah. It It feels like they did. Yeah. Right. And post that capital collision match thing where, you know, Juice walks off with champion and it's like, okay. And in the middle of the year, that US belt is in, it's in limbo and we're in all sorts. And Osprey has got the sort of, he's the internet darling. He's winning all these matches, but he hasn't got a real story in a New Japan context that's really meaty. Like it doesn't, he's having great matches, but he doesn't, he hasn't connected in a way that it's elevated the group. He gets, he gets that belt. He goes into the G1. And that's the that's the job. Elevate the title. That's that's your job. And through he basically turns it into the workers' belt. But I, what I like about it is he figured out a way to do it in kayfabe, where he talked about it became the workhorse belt. So Osprey becomes the workhorse, where it's like this is the belt that's going to be defended by me in opposition to say Jay, who's seen as the the champ that won't defend the belt. He's either way. He's in America. He's not on the tours. This I'm on the tours. I'm becoming the face of New Japan. I'm the workhorse, and this belt represents that. He gave the belt identity. He he imbued in that the the fighting spirit thing, so that the by the time he gets to Wrestle Kingdom at the end of the year, by the time he gets to that point, when he's able to cut that promo at the end in, in this year, it it's telling that story of three years, but it's telling the story of this the crystallized into what he has done for that belt and the fear he has about it being taken from him by someone who doesn't invest the same level into that. And I think that that ties into the exact same thing where it started, where it's like Juice had it and didn't invest in it. I'm going to be different to all of these other champions because I'm going to commit to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So for me, the story of the year was how Osprey's commitment to New Japan manifested itself as a character type that he became like a the voice for new Japan pro wrestling and its style, which is fucking good God, but he's like the ace. He's like Tanahashi in that respect. He's talking about the belt and the company, like he's defending it. You know, he's defending it against these people. That's what Tana says. You know, that's, that's his belief. And that fighting spirit stuff. It was a transformation of character that transformed you know, they turned face and they could not be stopped. They, you couldn't, it was off the tracks. Like if they wanted to be heel, and they couldn't do it. So they've figured out how they're going to do it, obviously, moving forward. Tai Chi, bring in Tai Chi. That'll turn your heel, you know? And I do think it'll be interesting to follow. But for me, it's a two-year story, and we know that now. We know that the next year is going to be Osprey's year to beat the, the final bosses. His job is to beat Okada and beat Omega. That's his next year. But this was the year where he got to the dance, where he got to the point where he is elevated, and it it doesn't count in the thing, but it culminates for the story of he goes back to Elevated as a song, right? 
he goes back to his roots and makes it clear like i am elevated i am at this level now um and we had to follow him now as he pretends that he isn't like he's been beaten in kayfabe but in shoot he's been elevated so i think those i like that dynamic of the story of him being elevated through his work through the elevation of the belt um and but the kayfabe degradation of he needs to fight back now so for me yeah that's the story united empire becomes the the what bullet club once was they become the dominant face and they've got the the true uh, foreign ace is will osprey i would never imagine saying that in a million years but he is undeniably the the lead um foreigner at this point i'd have to agree with you 100 on that one that's yeah it's a good that's a good storyline I mean, they're the two that stand out for me, for sure. Um, that I've, I mean, the definitely think that my favourite story has been the Suzuki Gun tracking that throughout the year, and then to have like a big, a big kind of payoff. Um, that that I like. It's rare that you get a payoff <laughs> that you're actually like, oh yeah, I'm I'm glad they've done it that way. That's interesting. That's different, and the the end results. Uh, who knows where it's going, but exciting you know just think of how funny that wording is so dave the end result who knows where it's going like yeah. it ended where will it go like that's a perfect story like next yeah. chapter you know yeah yeah uh or the rise of osprey hence then the rise of united empire i think is a really compelling story as well and that's been uh definitely what i've sort of paid most attention to as well uh but uh, man I don't know. There's been a few other stories that have sort of been told that of of like the Okada becomes Anoki or wants to become Anoki thing. I have had little interest in that, but that's been a long running story through the year. I think more, maybe more the purists yeah. and the <laughs> Japanese. That's a story yeah. for the purists and the Japanese fans. I think so. Yeah. What I would normally it would be the story of Jay for me is my favorite story of the year, but that kind of hasn't been the case this year. No. Um, Dave, I look. Can I just can I say, Dave? It may not it may not be a coherent, logical, clear narrative, but your tracking of what's up with Sonata has been one of the stories of the year, whether it's an actual story <laughs> or not. Whether it's a, it's because it's something's up, something's up. There's something happening. Something's yeah, happening yeah. there. It's happening. Um. Yeah, look, I mean that maybe that's a story of yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm fabricating shit in my own head and willing into. You watch where he loses to Sawyer, and it, it, it something's gonna happen. I'm telling you that the fact that it's faction warfare, I tell you, something's something smells fishy. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at it as a as a for the year of 2022, it's a very <laughs> subtle story. <laughs> it's very subtle. <laughs> Very, it's a very nuanced yeah, story. Like, Is it there? Yeah, you know, turning points are head nods and fucking, you know, a slight yeah, look of yeah. disagreement. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not a big story. It's more, uh, yeah, it's 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 the it's a, it's a slow burn. You know, um, yeah. So we work stiff slow, special what though. People say about movies, some movies. Oh yeah, it's good, but it's pretty slow. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a while like to get three, there. Yeah, three and a half hours, and then fucking finally something fucking happened. <laughs> yeah, that's Sonata. The year. I felt like this year was kind of like a bit odd, like that. I, it, it was. It was a bit of a. It was a reshuffle. Time, yeah, and timeline was still off because of COVID things and mm. that sort of thing. So 
maybe felt... some of the longer form stories weren't able to be told that they wanted to tell. And they no, they planted the seeds. Yeah, they planted the seeds for a lot of stuff rather than actually played them out. Yeah, this year is going to be massive. New Japan's back. They knew that was going to be the case. No, I think I think exactly what they knew because I feel like this year is more character year. This year was about really establishing the characters. Like, for instance, if you want to say a story, like say, for instance, Yo, for instance, that's is that a story yeah, yeah. or is that just a character development? But it was clearly a story that tracked throughout the entire year. Like throughout the year, there was a clear story of him debasing, going low building up, getting beaten, going low, building up until he finally finds a partner and then he can find his way through and now he's hopefully on the right track. They spent the year developing that character and we talked about it. We talked about the encouragement awards. How many characters have been built up throughout the year? How many characters have been playing in the background? Like you've got all the awards. The characters are very defined in the work that they're doing. How deep, when we watch Wrestle Kingdom, how deep that fucking roster is with guys that could, like, like I said, Shingo went from the Rambo to the main event credibly. Not many people can do that. So, like, the pre-show to the main event and was not... It was like, yep, that makes perfect sense. That was what this year was. I think you're right. It didn't It didn't hit the same way of those long-term narratives, but it felt like it was really instructive for the characters. So I'm interested... I'm interested by that. It's interesting. So it's, battle, it's a battle in two. It's a battle between two factions. One breaking and one becoming story of new japan is that they tried a bunch of shit this year which is pretty good and you know they're really trying to mix up their formula but it felt like where their tournaments their tournaments were the key drivers a lot this year too and again tournaments are so built on character interaction because they're novel each new interaction so it wasn't about telling long stories it was about planting a heap of seeds a heap a heap a heap of seeds because even looking now, as we move forward, it's like you can see, you can see how those new interactions, and it's crazy. Osprey versus Taichi is going to be novel and different. It's like I haven't seen that before. Yeah, and they're but they're very different characters than they were a year ago. So it'll be fresh without having to tell the story. So maybe it's a reset. Kind of feels like a bit of a reset, you know. So, no, I think you're right. You could chuck a Noki in if you want. Okada becomes a Noki. And you're right. That was a story for the domestic audience. It was a story for the one moment. It was a story for the 20 years from now, the photos of him doing it. That was the story, yeah. um, honoring the man. But, um, yeah, not we're not back to the halcyon days of New Japan's booking long-term stories yet because yeah. we haven't quite escaped the pandemic because, it's as you said, it's very hard to do that if all the pieces are going to keep moving and now we've got some stability, I feel like we'll see it moving forward for sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a story of the conspiracy booking out the wazoo, trying to fucking figure it all out. Yeah. To find, uh, to find, but if you, where are this to find where the stories were and if they were there, but, but yeah. the thing is, Dave, and I know that that can be frustrating, but like, is he just like, when's it going to happen? But like, think of all the little hints and the little things we picked up for Suzuki gun all throughout the year, like the Fujita stuff, like mm. it paid off. It actually paid off. That was the yeah. story. That's where they were going. The Zach's Vegeta stuff was intentional. Vegeta calling out Suzuki early. Vegeta always wrestling. Remember we kept highlighting Vegeta's always wrestling like he wrestled Doki on an undercard. It's like Vegeta was always paired up against him. Yeah. It was part of the story. So it was like 
yeah, it's subtle. Yeah, it's it's hiding in the shadows, as as Red be apt to say tonight. But it's it there was a payoff, right? So the Sonata glances. I'm telling you, uh, I'm telling you, it's. It, it's, story it's, of 2023. It's a story of 2023. Is fucking Sonata's going to do something? It's going to happen. Final category: the ultimate stiff boy for 2022. Who is our nomination for the stiff boy of 22? Who was the best overall wrestler? How do we determine this? Is it are we determining? Are we determining this like who I was most interested in? that's exactly yeah. how i view it i view this one as like the representation of us and what we like and what we like and when people vote for it they understand that it's about what our sensibilities are as representatives of the show and what we do and what we bring that's how i view it yeah um, because you've got the category for the best sort of in-ring open storyteller blockbuster you've got the guy that's going to help propel stories and do that sort of stuff this one's the person that is for our money the person that when he's named on the card or when they're on the card that we're excited, we're engaged. We feel like we're connected to them, that they have through the year, they have been able to invest to engage us in a way that wants us to follow them and engage with them. That's to me, it's the true boy, the boy you found, the one you want to, you want to support um, because of their work in the year of 2022 and New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's kind of how I look at it. Look, uh, it's really difficult to say best wrestler of the year because, but by the analogy of the guy, I get most excited to watch. When I know they're on the card this year, based on their work this year, who was the guy that captured your heart? Who's the boy? It's it's the same guy every year. <laughs> it's Nido. Like Will Osprey had one of the best years ever. Full stop. Okada had one of the best years. Full stop. Whatever. Um, but but Nido for me. Just a great year for me. I thought after not seeing Naito for a couple of years because of the pandemic and everything, and you know, just there's so many letdowns with Naito. There's always letdowns with Naito, and that's the whole thing. But it's always the the thing of like he could win, and you've always got to watch and you've always got to check it out and you've always got to see what's going to happen with him. And and this that's why this year is going to be the biggest year for New Japan. But uh. I really feel like it's a boring answer because I, I probably, if we had to be doing these shows every year, I'd be saying the same thing over and over and over and over. Uh, but I mean, I, I didn't have Tetsuya Naito in any of my teams this year, um, but I was watching all of his matches. I don't think there was a single Naito match that I missed. His match with Zack Sabre Jr., his match with Okada, his match with Will. Um, you know, I just, they were all nominees for me. I just had to go match of the year as Robbie because Homer, but it's just, yeah, it has to be Naito for me because that that guy really is one of the reasons why I'm into New Japan in the first place. Yeah, it's some his top end matches were great this year. Yeah, like I said, the match of Osprey was great. Uh, match of Zach, he had um, he had a, he's had a curious year because he had a really good like the Congo five on five at the beginning of the year was great. Yeah, very curious year for for Naito. As I said, I I would have. He would have been a guy I would looking to nominate in Blockbuster because I felt like this year, without much story, he was still able to be front and center. Um, and his tag league was great. Like he, he just, he's always good. That's kind of the thing. He's like a, he's just a consistent, you know, New Japan's test pattern. You know, like he's just always there. He's always yeah. on, no matter what's happening. He's always on. Um, 
yeah, I mean, my my wrestler of the year, again, Osprey's sitting right there and it's like, oh, well, you know, people are going to get mad. But, like, he's he's you can vote for him for best in-ring, kind of best blockbuster guy. Everyone knows how great a year he's had. Um, he has undeniably done the most for propelling New Japan to the front of minds of the Western audience. But, 100%. But for me, for me... And he's done a great job of propelling his character and his progression. He has moved a long way. He has improved a lot. But um, I can't go past the year that um, El Desperado has had. He's my wrestler of the year. Despi had always been someone that people liked, similar to Tai Chi in the sense that he's always been a very likable character. His pandemic run elevated into the point of like respectability. He was seen as a viable guy. But it wasn't until 2022 when until El Desperado became the ace of the junior division, to the extent that Hiromu is secondary to Despi. And it's visible in terms of merch and it's visible in terms of representation on terms of crowd engagement and it's visible in terms of disappointment with Hiromi winning over Despi and people not liking it from all like the Japanese fan base were not happy about that and it's also in Desperado's commitment to the character beyond the confines of New Japan his commitment to this idea of New Japan's 50th year the 50th year of New Japan was about as David sort of tracked earlier and sort of flagged was about sort of, as I said, breaking down the isolationist wars about, about embracing people from outside, about opening up and becoming connected to other things. And Despy was a front runner in doing that. Yes. Will Ospreay was the sort of the leader of that vision in terms of how Western people saw it, but in terms of representing what new Japan can be more so than what people perceive it to be as best in ring, which Osprey still uses as his defense. You know, he's on the sessions talking about it this week about, you know, I still, AEW is a big thing, but I still feel we're the best in ring. Okay. But Despy's a representation of what New Japan truly can be is that he's this unique, novel, one of a kind type character that embeds all of this weird emotion and wrestling and death matches and all this shit and crafts a coherent character across all different promotions. He's what New Japan offers as well. And he was the guy going to talk to GCW and trying to get guys across. He's the guy wrestling death matches versus Mox on on WrestleMania weekend. He's the guy going off and promoting his own uh, you know, promotions with Taika and Taichi and having, um, the, the to me, the, the overall match of the year against Jun Kasai. He's got that exact same thing that that Hiromu had talked about for years about inviting people into the super juniors well look at how fresh the super juniors was this year look at the people that he got he got El Lindemann over he literally brought in that guy talked about it that was something that he manifested into reality that was what he was positioned as this year and for me the rest of the year is the guy who is able to propel his story and in the act of doing that can propel others and elevate others. And that is what I felt he did. Osprey did a great job of elevating himself and the title. I feel like Despy did a great job of elevating himself and everybody that he was associated with moved as a result of their interactions with him. So his ability to get guys to that point, and it was demonstrated in that tournament. And it's because it's so long ago, it's hard to think about, but that Super Juniors, he was the guy. But throughout the year, 
he's propelled himself to the point where he's one of the top five guys on New Japan's branding. And for a junior to get to that point without the companies necessarily their backing, you know, like he's not the golden boy. That's a Romu. To me is is it's a it's a been a year and, and he deserves recognition. He's I, I I couldn't have loved him more. He became more of my boy. He's you know solidified his position as just my favorite wrestler. I love him and I think that um I can't wait to see what he does next. And I think that I'm interested to see if this Minoru Suzuki thing, because I hopefully believe that it's it's his opportunity to surpass Suzuki whilst being with Suzuki. That's kind of my because he mm. he does he's he's stopping calling him boss. He keeps calling him boss. Said, well, I don't have to say that anymore, do I? That dynamic is going to be fun to track because I think that for so long we thought it was going to be Taichi that was going to surpass Suzuki, but they've separated. I think the fact that Despi has sort of said we're not really a team, but we're sort of we got shared, you know, enemies, so we can be friends. To me, makes this gives me the sense that Despi is actually the one that is going to finally. Go get one back on Minoru because he's the guy that Minoru would stretch before every match. He was always the guy out there copying it. That this is his opportunity to be the actual leader. And if he can, even if it's subtle, if it's happening in them together, I think it'll be great. And he gives Ren Narita, it's a perfect combination for me because, as I said about before, New Japan might be seen as being the in ring thing, and Ren Narita is the son of strong style kind of thing. Despi at least gives us a bit of diversity, you know, and shows us that. If you want storytelling and you want long-term stuff and you want character and you want emotion, he's there too. So I think he'll be he'll do wonders for Ren Narita. So I think he's everything he touches. And as you said, Dave, what's bigger mirac- um, What's a bigger miracle than Wato getting himself to the level of believability? As there's mm. not many in New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2022, and the reason he got to that point, a large part of that is El Desperado. And for yeah. me. That's that's what makes you a, a great wrestler and deserves recognition. So, uh, yes, it's basically my view is the best supporting actor in a lead role. <laughs> you know, basically, if you can be the leader, you can get all the you can win you can win both at the same time. That to me is the the best example, and I think no one uh, embodied that better than Despi. So yeah, he's my wrestler of the year. Awesome. Yeah, he's great. He's had a great year. Look forward to seeing what happens next year with Despi for sure. I yeah. Think. Hopefully wins the fucking best of Super Juniors. How about that? Mm. Or a G1. <laughs> I mean, he could go up. He could, but that's that's like crusty is coming. That's like we're all you're always like a junior going up. It's like you hope for it, but there's a lot it's still story to be told there. You don't want that to get left behind. He has to beat Hiromu in a best super juniors and he has to and he has to be there for doki to beat him mm. you know like that to me is the you know whenever doki finally gets to the point despy's got to be hanging around so despy can lose to doki to put him over mm. you know so i think he'll stay in the juniors for a long time i'm just preparing myself mentally for that fact but <laughs> look i think they can main event a wrestle kingdom if you build despy versus Hiromu well enough. I think you can actually do it. But whether they ever get to that, who knows? Um, my wrestler, well, yeah, I sort of thought about this character, uh, this uh, best wrestler category as well, and I just went, well, um, I, I don't know, it could be El Desperado, it could be 
Naito could be, um, I don't know, I can't pick Jay because I haven't liked the year that he's had, although he's had some good spots. It's been like a, it's been a kind of a weird year. I can't say Okada because, uh, to be honest, I've barely paid Okada much attention, really. Really think about it. It's kind of impressive. New Japan sort of had this resurgence of the main event scene kind of being pretty stagnant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like all the action's been sort of in the come up to to get to that level. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly Osprey's had the best matches and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But I'll just go with my favourite wrestler for the years, the guy who entertained me the most, and that was um, it was a toss-up. Uh but and you know you said it earlier before like the guy when you see his name on the card and you're like your earmark oh that match i'm definitely keen for that's what i want to watch and um i'm so disappointed that i wasn't feeling better to actually say more than hello to him when we met him um because for the first time in my life i think i might have been a little starstruck Mm. but uh yeah kenta was my my wrestler of the year my best wrestler for the year I don't really have to say about his story, it. his matches, anything like that, other than he had a he had a great run and uh you know his promotion of his own book was quite fucking fun and entertaining. He's just he just entertained me all year. Yes. Yeah, watch Kenta. Yeah. And from the I... moment from the moment he uh he fell from such heights <laughs> and fucking fucked himself even more, come back with a giant scar all the way down. Oh. Yeah, the matching one. You know, what I hope for Kenta in 2023 is that something comes back around for him and he and Shibata finally tell that story. I would love that to happen for him. Mm. Um, And if it's it's Shibata and, and like, fuck around speed, like, um, (laughs) fuck around jobber jog fucking speed walking (laughs) Kenta... <laughs> Shibata slaps all that shit out of him and they go at it. That'll be amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's just the guy that I was yeah, he was just my favorite wrestler for the year. That's he 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 was from the show perspective too, he brought perhaps the most fun this year in terms of the things that he did and the like that you just he was maybe the most recapable wrestler of the year, like in that, like, for someone who's on Twitter, he was always fun in terms of his post-match press conferences mm. are the best. He's the best. He's the best, most consistent oh, I should have talked about that promo that he did where he was talking about getting on a plane with Naito's dad. And we <laughs> <laughs> spotted him. Yeah. Like... Well, also, too, like that, the interaction between Naito and Kenta during the G1 was hilarious. Yeah, the book stuff. That, that, whole thing. that was probably the most interesting interaction that anyone had during it, like in terms well, of comedy wise. Well, that's the thing. If you're looking at it from, like, Dave, like if you looked at, if you tried to distill Kenta's year, it's the year of like reinvention in the sense that Kenta has reinvented himself since coming back from WWE to New Japan Pro Wrestling and coming back to Japan. He had to reinvent himself because he just can't be young Kenta. And if you ever see clips of young Kenta... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's just... Matches. It's insane. He's, he was, a, he's just a lunatic. He's such an innovator and fucking... Yeah, let's talk about strong style. But how did he um, not, like... Okay, how did he not... He's going to need a hip replacement regardless. He's in a, he's, 
smashed himself into a million pieces. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, but there's something about that that's endearing and people love that he's just this lunatic, you know, that he's got, that he, he'll lay it out for the, for the course. But he had to reinvent himself. And I, we, we remember we talked about, you know, when he first came back and he was, he was a bit lost and then he found the bullet club. And then that Naito story, it's you know, Kenta's kind of snake bitten. Cause think about it. Like Kenta did the, the big rush thing post Naito. Like he's the one that tackled him after wrestling. Him. He's the one that got new beginning 2020 him bleak getting Naito bloodied and vicious and like, it looked like that might've been the story of 2020 is Naito and Kenta sort of probably having a series throughout the year. Mm. And then COVID happens and Kenta, yeah. that's not happening, Kenta. And sort of Kenta then getting the U S title thing of like, now you're going to be the first guy on AEW. You're going to be the first one that makes the crossover. That's going to be you Kenta. Like, mm. and he does that. And then, then the, the, they have the issues of communication and stuff. And he has to hold that fucking briefcase for a bunch of time. So it's like, again, he's been put in the thing. So he keeps getting promised and then getting taken away. And then he gets Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. It's like, oh, sweet. He's going to have the Tana story against the ace and against the, the company of that thing. And then he fucking just... <laughs> just Collapses himself a million times. Yeah. Ruins both hips and a face, you know? Yeah. And and it's like, oh, and then he's off and then he can't really get the story. So he comes back. But his thing is like, under all of that, um, you know, all those setbacks and all of that stuff, he's being able to sort of craft this lunatic kind of character who's just, I don't even know. I don't think I have a grasp of what he is. I don't really know what he is because he's not unhinged. He's not like, he's just, he's just. I think this is like the most, the probably the closest thing to who Kenta actually is. And he's he's just kind of like, oh, I'm just gonna have fun. I'm just gonna entertain myself. Yeah, and he's just entertaining himself. And doesn't that feel like it's like he's not taking it seriously from the perception that he's giving off? Obviously, he he is taking it seriously, but his perception yeah. is you're not taking this thing seriously, which is a perfect like now he's been again. It feels like we've talked about it, and maybe it's something we haven't noticed. We talk about lack of story, all that sort of stuff. You know how we're saying like Jay's returning back to two years ago. You know. Yeah, Kent is returning back to a year ago. His new beginning match is Tanahashi, so it's yeah. like whoop, we go straight back. Maybe whatever he's supposed to do, he's he's going to do this year. And he'll wrestle Tanahashi, Naito, and Shibata on the one night. <laughs> 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 no, but that might be. He might tell all three of those stories at some point through the yep. year. Yep, he might get back to that. And if that's but to me, the story of Kenta taking this. Kenta, an elevated Kenta, because if Bullet Club shifts up, he'll move up. Mm. He's Again, he's got a single match on that night, that Jay White loser leave town match. Kenta's on that show that night. Ishimori's on that show that night. ELP's on that show that night. The three guys that were very hesitant to give him the, the two suite are all together mm. on that night, the same night that Jay may leave. I think mm. Kenta has been incredibly entertaining this year, and I'm excited for him to bring the unique authentic version of himself to a actual meaty story, uh, you know, focus and push for 2023. He could be, he could be the most entertaining guy moving. He could like, you're, you're picking him and we understand why that your areas and things you like, but I would not be surprised if he gets an opportunity that a lot of people will pick him as 
one of their most you know entertaining, most engaging wrestlers next year because he'll you get spotlight. That's all he needs, yeah. you know, because he can. The man fucking made. The man was one of the three things people were talking about Wrestle Kingdom, and he was on the pre-show. You know, like yeah. he, some, he got himself over doing a fucking power <laughs> walk. Like he's a genius. He's a pro wrestling savant. You know, like yeah. he just gets it. So yeah, so I mean, he's just been. He's kind of everything that I like. I that I've never really been a big fan of comedy wrestling until I started watching New Japan. And like, oh, their comedy, like, I don't know, it must it kind of tickles my funny bone, I mm-hmm. suppose. And he seems he's sort of like that combination of comedy and and then like, well, you know, like when Kenta goes becomes Kanta, you're like, oh shit, it's getting serious. I like that feeling, like that, oh, 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 it's there's a change. Because Dave, best comedy comes from contrast. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in a place where it's a variety show, the contrast isn't as clear. That's what I always liked about um, the switch in Coda too is because he comes in and it's almost like he comes in as like he just looks so wholesome, like mm-hmm. he's built like granite, but he just looks so wholesome coming in and like, oh, well, you know, what? You know, so pretty. Innocent. When that switch flicks, mm. he it just he's so fucking scary because of that contrast. And Kent is the same way, I think, because you know what his history is. Mm. And then uh, because his comedy has been just great. And so, like, I like random comedy. I'm a big fucking Sam Simmons fan because mm. of just how he's the most random man on the planet. Comedy the absurd. Yeah, yeah. And Kent has done some absurd, absurd stuff this year that I've, like, just, just fucking gets me, you know. Power walk too me. sweet in the ring is just like, <laughs> what are you doing? As an avoiding maneuver, <laughs> he's dodging with his hips. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's been able to to increase how people perceive his viciousness by turning up how people perceive his comedy mm. without having to go more vicious. He just goes funnier. So that when he switches the 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 flips the switch, it feels like it's more vicious. But he doesn't have to get that to that level. So I think, yeah, he's. I said I think he's a genius. I think he's an absolute genius because you can. And when we got to see him, it's like he. I was just so happy that the books joke landed. I was just like, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, fuck yes. I made him. I made him chuckle. That was a win for me. So, uh, yeah, definite, definite. Uh, we need to get him. He needs to become a friend of the show because we fucking we we are here pushing the Kenta fucking. We're waving the Kenta flag for all yeah. those fucking people out there. Still, you know the cage match ratings. Oh, he's not as good as he used to be. He's he's figured it out at a level that I don't think people. I think pro wrestlers want to. I think most pro wrestlers have always tried to copy Kenta for his moves and all that sort of shit. Now they just want to copy yeah. him for whatever the fuck he's figured out how to do now, because like. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to work as hard, and he's still over as fuck. <laughs> he's a fucking magician. Yeah. yeah, I like it, Dave. What a what a fucking motley crew! Uh, I can't wait for the comments when people are like, "No Osprey." The, vote, the people have to vote for. <laughs> yeah, they'll vote for that one. They'll be voting for that. Who do they feel was the rest? Of, we it's because it's a stiffy for the who's the most we work stiff representative. 
that's yeah. kind of the idea because we're brief bringing our boy. So who embodies the stiftum? Kenta might be <laughs> yeah. Kenta might have a real shot here. The power walking will be in people's mind. That's the issue. Yeah. It's fresh. <laughs> it will never leave. <laughs>